Welcome to the Best Picture Cast. I'm your host, Kieran B. I recently completed my goal of watching every Oscar Best Picture winner ever and decided to start a podcast to review each one. Each episode, myself and a revolving co-host will discuss, assess, and evaluate a different Best Picture winner with the goal to establish a ranking for the entire list. This is not a who-should-have-won podcast. We're here to discuss the inner circle of movies who took home the crown in their respective years. As a disclaimer, this is an opinion-based podcast and a subjective discussion by movie enthusiasts who don't claim to be trained experts. If we destroy your favorite movie or praise a movie you think is trash, we encourage you to write us in at our email, which is bestpicturepodcast at yahoo.com. You can also get us on Twitter at bestpicturecast. So we're on Twitter at bestpicturecast. Comment, tweet at us, chop it up with us. We're always open. And we're here once again. This is episode five, and it is our first episode since we've gone live, that we're recording since we've gone live. I have with me today a very special guest. It is our fifth episode and our fifth co-host. It is Brendan B. Brendan, how are you doing here? Good, good. Good to see you. Happy to be here. Indeed, and we are talking Shakespeare in Love today, a very interesting entry onto this list, a some would call controversial entry to this list. And I am with someone who knows this movie well. I've seen this movie it's many true. times. One of your favorites? It is it is one of my favorites, and I constantly get shit for that. So, <laughs> so here we are. <laughs> here we are, indeed. Now, uh, for full disclosure, uh, this is Brendan B. here, and the B is actually the same B in my name. This is, we are brothers. We are blood brothers here, so this is a family affair today. And when I looked at the list, and Shakespeare in Love was one of the movies, of course, on it. And when you're thinking about Shakespeare in Love, it's hard to not think about some of the movies that it went up against. In We don't normally do that here with this podcast, but as we talked about Crash last week, which is another controversial one, we're kind of keeping our controversial theme going. It's hard to not... Mention Saving Private Ryan when talking Shakespeare in Love. Oh, because I was going with Catherine, to be honest. I thought Catherine was really the... <laughs> Elizabeth. The, oh, Elizabeth. <laughs> See, I can't even get that name right. All right. Yes, all the Elizabeth fans out there are very yeah. upset. Elizabeth, Life is Beautiful, Thin Red Line, Saving Private Ryan, Shakespeare in Love. We don't spend a lot of time talking about the other nominees on this podcast. This is an episode where, at the end, we are going to have a little more lengthy conversation than normal just because of the nature. But when I looked at Shakespeare in Love on this list and the idea of doing a podcast on it, I said to myself, and I think anyone would who who was looking at that would say, gee, wouldn't it be great if rather than I just had someone who agreed with me, have someone who actually thinks that Shakespeare in Love deserved that award and sure enough i didn't have to look far there's one right in my family tree and he happens to be a defense attorney so <laughs> i <laughs> so uh yeah so i got think, it in for you now i think you're uh, i think you're trained for the job here but <clears throat> shakespeare in love of course won the oscar for best picture at the 1999 oscars it was a 1998 film What's your first experience with Shakespeare in Love? Where did you? When did you first see it? What what, have, what has your experience been with it over the years? This isn't your first viewing, obviously. So, nineteen ninety nine, I was uh, junior high school. I don't. I forget if it was seventh or eighth grade. Mm-hmm. So, 
It was on Showtime all the time. And, and still is today, by the way. Is it still yeah. always played yeah. on Showtime? All right. So my first experience with this was my complete admiration for Gwyneth Paltrow. <laughs> yeah. As a junior high school student. She makes it pretty easy in this one <laughs> in many facets. So this is so this is one that you kind of caught on Showtime. Mm-hmm. Now, this is not a movie I watched as a youth at all. I saw oh, this really? for the first time embarking on this list of, of movies to watch. So it was probably... It was probably about 10 years ago or so. Yeah, you've seen yeah right after college. I would say right after college. I was not expecting to like it. I remembered liking it. Although I hadn't seen it again until this week and didn't remember a whole lot about it. So it was kind of a new viewing. I was always a total literature nerd. So this this really grabbed me. And not only do I got Gwyneth Paltrow, but I also got now literature. So I'm smart and, and a junior high school student at the same yeah, time. Yeah, and you dug it. And I was an English major who... The last thing in the world wanted to do on his free time was watch anything more about Shakespeare. So I had yeah, to, it yeah. took graduation to right. to dive into this and, one. And the beauty of this too is that this this movie's got to piss off every single Shakespeare scholar that ever ever walked the earth. Shakespeare, there's there's literature majors and there's Shakespeare majors, and there's probably so many Shakespeare inaccuracies in this that every Shakespeare scholar is just rolling their eyes and. Yeah, and kicking a bucket. Somewhere. The the writers actually picked a time of his life where very little is known about him. Okay, is when this movie takes place. That. So that's why they kind of felt the right to take some liberties. Mm-hmm. So I'm sure though that I mean they they they've openly ch- they change parts of of the stories. They change parts of the relationships. They have sure uh, non fictional people who are treated like fictional characters in this. Right, and it's meant to be more of a comedic, fun commentary on. The time in Shakespeare. It was a little unfair of me to say that before. They do. They do actually get Tom Stoppard on for to write help write the script. Tom Stoppard is a is contemporary English playwright, well respected. So so you know they 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 do justice in, in that sense. While you're saying it's ticking off a bunch of Shakespeare scholars, it ticked off a bunch of. World War Two buffs too, <laughs> and still is to this day. And that's a group I'm more afraid of ticking off than the than the Shakespeare scholars. <laughs> yes. So let's get started here. We, we're not going to waste any time. But bef- right before we we get into the dive into it, I just want to talk a little about the fact that number one, this is our first episode we're recording while the podcast is live. We're all very excited. It's it's up and running on Apple on Spotify, on SoundCloud, Best Picture Cast. You can find it at any of those venues. It's been a little bit of work, but it's been fun. It's The feedback so far has been good. I really do encourage anyone listening to write an email, send us a tweet, write us a review. We will read those on the podcast if they're applicable, and I'd love to hear what other people... I'll hear other people contribute to this too, because this is kind of... This isn't just a couple guys sitting in a, in a room preaching at their at the microphone. Where we want to hear, we want this to be a, a communal thing, and we want to hear what you have to say. That's number one. So we're next episode going to do something a little different. We're going to have, as I mentioned, you're it's the fifth episode, and you're our fifth guest. Next episode, we're going to bring back a couple of our previous guests, and we're going to do a little three man format. So we're going to see how that goes. So it should be interesting when we discuss the works of Alfred Hitchcock and. His movie Rebecca, nice. which is the 1940 winner of Best Picture. Never seen that one actually. 
So that's uh, that'll be interesting. While we're talking Oscars and while we're talking best pictures, the Oscars were this past Sunday. And I think that you're the perfect guest to have on for this because not only did you watch the Oscars in full length this year, you saw the winner Parasite multiple times and right. you're fluent in Korean. All three yeah, of those that's things. All, right? all three of those, actually. I was born Korean, actually. Yeah. <laughs> yes. None of those things are true. You didn't, did no, you catch any of the Oscars? <laughs> I, didn't, I didn't catch any of the Oscars, but I caught voluminous amounts of uh, the commentary after the Oscars, okay. which is okay. really the more important. Of course, the buzz, the old Oscar buzz. I did watch the Oscars. I did see Parasite. I personally feel that they got it right. I thought that Parasite was a wonderful film. I'm super excited to talk about it when that time comes. But that is the 92nd film on this list. The list has grown by a movie. I saw most of them this year. I didn't see Little Women. I didn't see Jojo Rabbit. I didn't see Ford vs. Ferrari. I saw all of the other nominees. And we saw 1917 together. Yes. Speaking of war movies. Yeah, great movie. Yeah, super, yeah I, I liked it a lot. I kind of narrowed it down to a few that I thought were at the top of the list. I saw Marriage Story too. I thought that was one of my favorites of the year. Noah Baumbach's film. Adam Driver is super phenomenal. I know you're a Star Wars guy, so. Yeah, yeah. I don't know how much I, f- how strongly I feel about Adam Driver, but okay. <laughs> <laughs> right, right, right. So, uh, yeah, so so Parasite, the first foreign film ever, ever to win Best Picture. And there is a notable for- foreign film that was up the year up against Shakespeare in Love in Life is Beautiful. And that's one that I watched this week as well and have a little bit to say. But that, of course, will be at the end. Right now, it's time for Shakespeare in Love. Are you ready? I'm, I'm ready to go. Let's get to it then. The year, it's 1998. The U.S. president mm. is, in his second term, is William Jefferson Blythe III, who is better known as Bill Clinton. Mm. Look it up, people, look it up. The New York Yankees, and ah, we've made it so far. We made it to our fifth podcast before we had to do this, <laughs> but we're here. And yes, the New York Yankees are World Series champions. They sweep the San Diego Padres. And it's what many consider to be one of the best Yankee teams of all time. It's up for discussion. Oh will not be discussed here and will not be discussed in a podcast that I'm hosting. Collins, so <laughs> that's for another day on another podcast with another host. And finally, the song of the year was The Boy Is Mine by retro tag team Brandy and Monica. A famous 90s duo. Wow, that's painful. <laughs> that's painful. <laughs> Song of the year. Shakespeare Love. It wins Best Picture at the 1999 Awards. Best Actress goes to Gwyneth Paltrow. It also wins Best Supporting Actress, Dame Judi Dench. Best Original Screenplay, Mark Norman and Tom Stoppard. It also wins for Art Direction, Costume Design, an original score by a comedy or musical. And this is the last year that they give out that award, believe it or not. Hmm. It, the, the award was lasted four years, and this was the only Best Picture winner to win that. So it'll be the last time that we talk about this award. Other nominations. Best Supporting Actor for Jeffrey Rush. Best Director for John Madden. Cinematography, sound, film editing, and makeup. So... Shakespeare in Love, at the time, was a big deal, this this win. It was a super celebrated movie. It, Gwyneth Paltrow was the toast of the town. She was all anybody talked about immediately following that. Well-deserved is a phenomenal performance out of her. She's awesome, yeah. She became a legitimate movie star after this. 
was popular coming into this, but this cemented her as a as a a top leading lady. It's her only appearance at the Oscars as far as the nominee goes. Oh wow! She's one for one in her career, and that's that. Was it her marriage to the Coldplay guy that ruined her career? Uh, well, <laughs> it's funny that you should mention that. And, you know, we'll deep dive Coldplay a little later, I'm okay. sure. Right. But she almost did not take this role because of a breakup with really one of this year's Oscar winners, Brad Pitt. So oh, she, she broke up with Brad Pitt and was so... Best shook thing up that ever it. happened to her. <laughs> yeah, shook so so shook up about it that she was didn't want to work and didn't want to do the film, and a friend got in her ear and said, "Come on, you got to get back on the horse." And here she goes, and it's a, her most prominent role for sure. And it's a story of love. It is a story of love, yeah, and probably an interesting one to do if you're going through a situation like that. I look at this movie. This is an interesting movie. This is, it's, if and we're going to talk about it for what it is before we get into any of the other movies or anything like that and we're going to talk about it in length i feel like this is a movie where people hear but people haven't seen it hear shakespeare in love and they don't really know what it's about they think they probably think it's like a biopic yeah their eyes glaze over and they throw up and, right. and just want to you know watch saving private ryan <laughs> <laughs> and you know i i think i mean i do i do genuinely think people when people hear shakespeare in love they think it's going to be like lincoln only shakespeare yeah okay that's fair I could see that. And I know that when I sat down to watch it for the first time, and like I said, I was right out of college, I was prepared for the worst. I thought it was going to be one of those, you know, like a, and I didn't realize it was going to be funny. I didn't realize it was going to be so charming. I didn't realize that Ben Affleck was even in it. <laughs> I'm not sure if Ben Affleck realized that. So. Yeah, <laughs> right. Uh, and the, it's it's an, another ensemble all-star cast, and we've done a few of these already with... Departed, One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest, mm. Crash. I mean, all of those movies are ensemble movies. And this is too. You have you have Jeffrey Rush. You have Judy Dench. You have Ben Affleck. You have Tom Wilkinson. You have Ray Fine's brother. Yeah. <laughs> it's it's a, it's a good cast. That it's a good guy's cast. brother. The other thing too here is to remember with these things. This at this point in time. This is the blockbuster time. I mean, the movie the movie industry has since fallen off. There's streaming, there's there's online stuff. This is everyone's going to the movies now. You have big so you have all these movies. I mean, look at all these movies that came up. Saving Private Ryan. I mean, there's a cameo every every 5 minutes of that movie. Thin Red Line as well. Thin Red Line. I, I hadn't seen it, but but you you had mentioned that to me. Ad nauseum cameos. Yeah. I, I mean, it's 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 we don't have to get into Saving Private Ryan, but the Cheers guy is in that movie. Like, <laughs> like that what, is, what is with that? That dancing. So Although we, some listeners may know him as the Curb Your Enthusiasm guy, but yes. Okay, all right. <laughs> um, yeah, and Walter White is also. Walter that was, White uh, that's is one I didn't there, even Paul realize. Giamatti. Yeah, Brian Cranston, who plays Walter Brian White on Breaking Bad. He's got one arm in the movie, and he's the one sending the letters out to... Oh, wow. Mrs. Ryan. Yeah, he's the one who they come up and they said, oh. this is this five letters going to the same place or four letters going to the same oh. place. It's like a real minimal role. Yeah, very small yeah. role. Yeah, very small role. But, hmm. and, I mean, at that point, he's Mal- Malcolm, Malcolm in the Middle. In the middle. I don't yeah. know, when it, was Malcolm in the Middle? Uh, it was probably late 90s. Like, yeah, but it was probably around the same time, so he might not have even been that prominent in that yet. I would say probably around 98, 97, 98 that that movie came, that television that show was out. Yeah. Yeah, and he's certainly not as famous as he is today after his right. Breaking Bad. And you mentioned this was a big Showtime movie, and it still is. It's on Showtime and stars all the time. So, and and 
as far as blockbusters go, a lot of the 90s is characterized by that. You have even just the winners, if you go through them, Forrest Gump, Titanic. I mean, these movies... Are huge. It was, a, it was, you know, English Patient was a, was a big movie theater. Which, uh, Schindler's List, you know, Dances with Wolves, Silence yeah. of the Lambs. These are all movies that are, are they're big box office movies. Now it's a little different. It I is, think that this was a year where movies were well attended. It, I think I... And I have, I have no statistics to back this up, but I think this year probably they did better than they've done in in a decade. Yeah, and if you think about Star Wars, and you think about, and Star we're not even talking Wars, just the movies on this list, but and um, um, Joker, and Avengers Endgame, Joker. Yeah, people are going out to the movies all of a sudden. They're going, what happened? Yeah, everyone's like, oh, I like to do that again. And you know, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. It's good to see that. It's good to see that they're that. That they're surviving, at least for now, are surviving. But let's talk about this movie here. I read off the list of awards earlier that it that it won, and there's definitely some here that I think are slam dunks. You know, costume design. I mean, of course, it was going to win that. Art direction. I mean, they recreated the whole the rose stage. Yeah, you know, oh, yeah. Or, or a direct replica. Yeah. Of that real phenomenal stuff, and that's how the movie opens. And I I was kind of one of the things I was ready to come out of the gates and rip rip on with this <laughs> is that. We've had, the movies we've talked about so far have all had epic intros. Interesting. If you talk The Departed, the Nicholson monologue, if we talk One Fool the Cuckoo's Nest, the shot of the outside and the car rolling up, if we talk, even Crash has kind of that like, it, not that it was great, but it was just notable and it's Trash. got this kind of trippy, this trippy visual. And, and Rain Man had the, the cars coming off the ship. They all had these cool intros and I'm like, that's no way that that the Shakespeare love intro is going to draw me in at all. And I was completely wrong. It, it okay. is... Okay, all right. I didn't think you were going that way. Super, okay. super cool because you have... I mean, it starts off with a little brief explanation of the two, the the two theaters. And, and, I, and as soon as I that, I'm like, gosh, i got to get a pen out. I'm not going to remember this. I don't know anything about this. Yeah. you know. And then I write down what it's... And then I'm like, okay, that really wasn't all that important. It was just a, it was just a general, well, very general table setting well and that's the interesting thing about that intro is that it is seemingly if you if you really just do an overview of the movie it's seemingly unimportant yes. and and the, and and the focus of the movie it almost you almost feel like you're being put, put in the wrong direction because the focus of the movie is not this rivalry between the two theaters at all, at all. so that 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 kind of tricked me a little bit there and the but but it actually is so important in the movie is that is that this movie gets into into the the business um, it gets into into the production sense of it, and there's all these s sort of little quirks and jokes about about not just the industry then, but the industry now. Right, and that's going to bring and, me to my to my next point where we start. This is that this intro, after it gives you the little blurb on the screen, which you know I could do or could do without. Right. It pans. Up, it does this real dramatic pan of the stage with this nice. Music playing and it's a it's a good score. It wins. Oh, like the I score said, was it, great. It yeah, does won win. won yeah. the Oscar for yeah. for original score. But it does this nice pan of the stage and it, it's really kind of it's romanticizing it, mm -hmm. and then it sucks you into a guy who can't pay for it and yes. he's getting tortured oh. because because he's not selling enough tickets. I swear, one to of the get best to make the thing happen. Yep. Yep. So it and this is like you said the then and now. This is a meta Hollywood movie where it's. And and Hollywood loves meta Hollywood movies because they're all about themselves. Yes. And it's commenting on not just drama and theater, but it's commenting on movie making and it's commenting on the production aspect of things. And here you have this 
is isn't it great to be in the business? And then, uh oh, I owe a guy money. He's burning my heels on yeah, the on the fire. It's, it's not as great as you think it is. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And and you 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 get to you meet the kind of layers of the process. And these are the first two: the money guy, and. The producer. So the executive producer and the regular producer. The guy burning the guy's foot, that's the executive... The executive yeah, it would be the executive producer. Yeah. Is dumber than the guy who is uh, the producer. And the producer's dumber than the guy writing the... Right? Exactly. It's like this... On your way up, you get dumber. Yeah, is, is right. essentially... That's right. And the... What we're calling here the executive producer in this instance... Is played by Tom Wilkinson, who is a phenomenal British actor. I my favorite work of his is in Eternal Sunshine of Spotless Mind. He also plays a role in, in Batman. Uh, Michael Clayton, I believe he was in, it was nominated for In the Bedroom. He was in, it was nominated for. He plays Fennyman, who, as he proclaims later, is I'm the money guy. Right, right. And he's trying to get paid here, and this guy doesn't have much for him, but a couple promises. And this guy would be Jeffrey Rush, who plays Henslow. Henslow is the one we're calling the producer in this sense. He would, right? yeah, he's in, he's in charge the of the project. Are yeah, gonna, are going to evade me. This so right. So we'll, yeah, we'll, we, we, this one on this podcast, something we always dance for. Do we call them actors' names? We call, I think for the sake of this, I think we can use our actors' names here. We could say Jeffrey Russ, we could say Tom sure. Wilkinson, Fennyman. We'll, we'll do the best we can for our listeners here because it's. Now, there's a thing about this scene, too, I want to bring up because, because not only, okay, so we have this commentary in the industry here, but. It also it also diminishes this sort of triumph of Shakespeare. We we all think Shakespeare, best writer ever, right? Isn't that what everyone says? And and right in this scene, they take that away from you, and they, and they make him just your your regular playwright trying trying to make a buck. So Jeffrey Rush is there. Ah, oh, I got a new play. I got a new play. Uh, what is it? Uh, you know, he explains it, and the the henchman's like, ah, I didn't like that. All right, cut off his nose. Yeah. Uh, oh no, no no, it's by William Shakespeare. Hmm. Cut off his ears too. Yeah. <laughs> right. So it's like Shakespeare. That name has no pull whatsoever in in the money making scheme of this. Whole yeah, thing. they want to hear about Marlowe. They want to hear yes. about Marlowe. Yeah, Marlowe, which is a rivalry that they they play well to through this movie. Yeah, yeah for sure. So we uh, while we get into the next scene here, we do have we are drinking some fine beverages today. I'm drinking the Founders All Day IPA Session Ale. And I have the wonderful Blue Point Toasted Lager. Blue Point Toasted Lager. An yeah. easy choice around and here. We don't don't fool yourselves. We don't have sponsors for this. So. Nope, we're <laughs> plugging for free today. So uh, the thing I and I I absolutely love Wilkinson's performance in this. I love the character Fennyman. I love his progress throughout the movie. His I'm the tough guy. I'm the guy with money. And then he finds some value in getting more involved. Yes. And now it's, I'll give the speech. I'm the yeah. And then as he gets more involved in the process, he starts to appreciate a little more. And then he starts to take some ownership of it. And then he starts to understand that he doesn't know so much about it. And then when he gets his little role, you fall in love with the guy because he's got his big adorable smile and he's like, I'm in the movie. I'm going to be... Yeah. Right. He's like a little kid. He turns yeah. into a little kid and, and, he, and he, he, he turns into this person that really starts to appreciate the art of, of the whole process. There's, there's a few parallels here with his character. There's a few people that this is just another paycheck or this is just mm -hmm. another thing. And uh, then they turn around and realize... Oh wait, 
this is this is history here. Ben Affleck's character, which we'll address later. Well, absolutely, there's um, definitely is, a lot is to definitely say about one his of character, those, yeah. and he's great in this. In that opening scene, and we'll, we'll move on from it from there, but you talked about some of the quirks of the business and some of the things. There is a little kind of zinger line in there when now Wilkinson's character, Fennyman, is starting to get his head around, all right, you know what, Shakespeare, okay, we're going to do, we can do this, we can do this. I'll pay this much that, and Jeffrey Rush's character goes, well, how am I going to pay the actors? Well, they'll get share in the profits. But there's never any profits. Exactly. You know, and that's... And <laughs> I think you're on to something, Mr. Benjamin. <laughs> <laughs> and that's, I mean, that's done all the time today. Sure, yeah. And, you yeah, know... Never never take a job saying that uh, the profit share of... Uh, right, right. Of the and failing pizza business that you're going to work for. <laughs> and we mentioned this in, in episode two. We were talking about One Flew the Cuckoo's Nest. Nicholson didn't take pay and he took profit share and struck big on that one. And yeah. still making money off of Which I wonder what the syndication... Um, drawing is now these days I, I don't know how often they play that on tbs but <laughs> yeah you know I, I i'd have to check that too but for a while dvd sales and yeah you know, streams you still get it for streams i mean sure. listen i i streamed it a couple months ago when we recorded that so I, a little bit that's going you know still going to. the funny thing this is a little off topic but i'm gonna, I'm gonna go there anyway i i just found out one of my buddies that i work with his cousin was the was in the mighty ducks okay and she was she was the figure skater, um, that had Pete, the Pete and Pete guy as little brother, and he wants to join the hockey team, so she joins the hockey team. It's only only in the first one. Okay. Yeah, the blonde figure skater where she'll she'll post up by the net, do her little spin, they mm-hmm. pass it to her, and then she knocks it in. Yeah. Apparently, from what I know, or what I'm told, gets. To, I guess the actors still get royalties from, yeah. from acting in that. I was surprised. I, did, I thought, kid actor, you're, you're thrown to the uh, thrown to the walls. But uh, actors do get royalties. Yeah, I heard that there was an interview with uh, the warden from Shawshank Redemption. Okay. And he said that, I think by mid-2000s or so, they were getting royalties. Their royalties were up over seven figures wow. in what they were making. On a regular basis, just because of the just amount of time being it's actor? being played on on TNT constantly. And oh, that movie's—I mean, I'd love some royalties from that movie. I would think you get your paycheck and that's it. You got to get another job. Yeah, you know? and, I mean, but not. It's... I mean, Shawshank Redemption is the most dramatic example of all of them because that movie's probably played on television more than any other movie yeah. that there is. Yeah. I mean, Turner owned part of it and it was part of the deal and getting him getting him in there is putting that on TNT as, as much as possible so and I'm going out on a limb here but that one might be better than Shakespeare in Love I, I'm not sure <laughs> I if you're here to argue Shakespeare is better than Shawshank Redemption this might become a contentious podcast it might become one anyway but you need our lead Will Will Shakespeare he's played by Joe Fines. he's the brother of Ray Fines, who's in English Patient and Schindler's List Two movies that we are going to have episodes on at some point. He's not in a ton. He, he's a he's a stage actor, mostly. Joseph finds he's good in this. He's fine. Uh, okay, I think he's great in this. Okay, all right. All I, right. Think he's, I think he's really good. He he plays the role perfectly. He is. He looks like he's like a member of of the band Creed during most of this. With his eye shadow. <laughs> I think that's and his what they were going for. Him, yeah, I mean, he could he could hop right into the uh, with get arms the wide open singer of Creed because he was on tour, so they had to go with this guy. I'm not I'm not <laughs> totally convinced it isn't him with a haircut. It, it could be okay. All right, but yeah, Joe finds I think he's more of a stage actor. Is that right? Yeah, I think Is he's right? been in, in a lot of a lot of plays in Britain and and whatnot. So. Okay, well that makes sense because I. I 
you know, I went and looked looked him up, and I and it was like, so this guy was in an Oscar award winning movie. I guess did Believe Enemy at the Gates after that, and then just disappeared. And he was in Elizabeth too. So he was in two of the movies that year, big year. Yeah, two yeah, of the movies that were nominated. 1998 loved him. Yeah, 19, and that was kind of 2000. It. I guess didn't. <laughs> um, he said Enemy at the Gates. Enemy at the Gates, great movie. Well, it's a good movie. I I, I tend to uh, uh, hyperbolize sometimes. But um, it's a good movie. It's a fun movie. Uh, Ed Harris, Ed Harris, and Jude Law are competing snipers, who are who are both hunting each other. It's and Fines is like the reporter, like building up uh, Jude Law's character. It's a fun movie. <laughs> okay. And as we're talking about this right now, there's people screaming at their devices because there's a super popular show that's on right now that I have not seen. I'm pretty positive you have not seen. No. He is a regular character on The Handmaid's Tale. Interesting, so, yeah. and 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 that will be one that I will sit down. This is the best show I've ever seen. <laughs> <laughs> so I mean, The Handmaid's Tale has, has been a phenomenon. It's based on That's... based on the book that was out, The Handmaid's Tale. So he's he's up on his feet working again. That's good to see. Uh, I should know a little more about such a popular show, but hey, hey, he's working though. So he's working. Him. He's back there doing. He's doing making a, a paycheck. Week. I guess the stage. He's like, screw the stage. I want the TV. Also was in American Horror Story on a few of those series. Which is a series I either loved or hated depending on the season. I kind of like, I've seen some and haven't seen others. Like, I did I did the first one. I loved the first one. First I didn't see the second one. I saw the third and fourth. So I saw the one with the witches. <laughs> That's the one I stopped watching because it was stupid. Okay, <laughs> I, I didn't mind that season. I stopped in the freak show. I got stopped midway because it got so bad. Freak show was, was ridiculous. I, I, I don't think I even tried to watch that one. The one I loved was the Roanoke. I thought that oh, was really? I thought that was great. Yeah. Okay, so I haven't seen anything. Isn't that Lady Gaga's in that one? Yeah, yeah. She's great. She's yeah, awesome. well, she's great at everything she does. <laughs> yeah. So getting back to to the movie, Joe Joe Fines plays Shakespeare. I he does do a good job. I I like him in this. He's a little his eye rolls are a little too pronounced at times. Interesting. It, 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 there's a couple times where where they're bringing up Marlowe and he's you know, he does like the uh, the over dramatic eye roll. We get it. Okay. We get it. All but, right. Other than that, he didn't really bug me too much. And being a stage actor, I thought he crushed those scenes. He got the romance part of it down. He was believable. He was, he was believable. This movie is really that's, that's a good believable. word to use it. He 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 fulfills the role of the melodramatic writer who is just, you know, it, it, the whole thing starts off. I need my muse. I got to find my muse. I have my muse. Yeah, right. And it's <laughs> right. like, oh, my muse like, is sleeping with someone else. Yeah, oh, so crumple it up, shit. burn that plane. <laughs> you know, and it's like, it, he really is that nerd that everyone's like, fuck that guy. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my. And with the rewriting and the burning the play and then rewriting the play and then dishing it out, the amount of handwriting these guys had to do back then. I'm just watching this like, and even like, at one point later in the movie, when he finally finishes his, his play and he hands it to Gwyneth Paltrow, and I'm like, geez, he wrote out that? He's got to write out a, one of those for everyone? And then he goes, well, I had so-and-so do it. He's a, he's a fine fister. You know? <laughs> yeah, fine fister. Right, because he, cause he, cause his, <laughs> yeah. his hand doesn't fall off when he's rewriting plays. Right. But <laughs> the things, I mean, I, they don't even teach handwriting in school anymore, I don't think. No. With how things no, have gone. No. Lost art. But so we meet, we meet Shakespeare. He's struggling with writing his, his play. Like you said, he's searching for his muse. He's seeing the witch doctor who's giving him snake bracelets. The apothecary, and, not the witch. The uh, witch is a poor, a poor yeah, yeah, um, reference good. to Romeo yeah. and Juliet. I am the apothecary. <laughs> right. 
<laughs> Good old Tom Wilkinson. So yeah, he so he meets he meets there that apothecary. He's finding a little snake bracelet and that whole deal. I mean, you know, you get through the first part of this. Then we meet we meet Gwyneth Paltrow's character, and she's yes. in enthralled with with the theater, and you can tell is not just happy watching it, wants to be a part of it, and that's kind of where one of the major themes of this movie kicks into gear and that's about women's roles on stage women's I mean, roles in film or just women role in society you can go as far to say too mm-hmm. i mean first of all if you if you're if you're to sum this movie up in a sentence or two it's a woman posing as a man to to act in a shakespeare play that's that's how that's when they sold it to the investors that's what they told them they're oh great this is cool mm-hmm. and there's a thing i want to go into i don't know now is the time but but to bring in the, this is 1998, 1999, and what's happening right now on, on the political scene is Bill Clinton's getting impeached. And, and you're in the 90s where it's, it's fairly, women have really, are really starting to break into main areas of society. And politics is, it's happening a little bit slower than it is in other areas. And I think the whole society is is looking at at this as why do we have all look everyone loved Bill Clinton even people who hated Bill Clinton liked Bill Clinton I mean he was just a charming guy I mean how could you not like this guy and then he goes and screws up and and I think people turn around and go why do we keep having these men in these in these areas I mean, there's all these great women here why, how about how about how about them and and I think this movie in in a lot of ways it, it's why it's why this movie resonated so well with people is because it's it's a woman breaking into a men's industry then and and they were really thinking that that's what should be going on in a lot of other areas in the late 90s and that's obviously something that's still a main topic today and we'll probably talk about this and the themes of this in depth a little later on in it but if you just look at what a lot of the hoopla this year was the fact that there were no female directors. Yeah. And that's something discussed too, and we'll get back to that. But Gwyneth Paltrow was such a perfect choice for this. She did such a great job of being likable, number one, making you care about the character, making you care about the character's journey. Her her facial reactions in this are... They're genuine, they're adorable, they're likable, they're you you care about her character. And and it's a lot of times with Romeo and Juliet, you get this idea that they're 16-year-olds, they're foolish, and they're silly. She is the opposite of foolish and silly. She's smart, um, she's she's into literature, she's well spoken, she's savvy, dynamic, savvy. It really, she's this strong woman character, and it's and it's really kind of the opposite of what you might picture Juliet as. Yeah, yeah, um, she's a she's a, a cunning and opportunistic individual who's who knows what she wants, and yeah. and unfortunately ends up with with what she doesn't want. But we'll get to that a, l- a little later on. Basically, now it's time to start this play that isn't written, and Jeffrey Rush is like, "All right, we're doing audition. We go." And Isn't written. It, they don't even have a name. They, for they it. don't have a name for it. Right? What R- Romeo and Ethel's Ethel the pirate's the daughter. Pirate's daughter. <laughs> Ethel the pirate's daughter. Yes. And 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 just to go back into um, uh, what is it? The 
the Jeffrey Rush, I guess, is the executive guy. Yeah. When he hears the name, he goes, "Oh, great, great name, great name, great, great name. name." Right? No, Tom and then, Wilkinson. And then later, yeah. it's told to uh, to Marlo, and he goes, "Ooh, yeah, I know. The name needs work." <laughs> yeah, right. Well, it's, yeah, right. It's, it's, there's your there's your money guy versus and now Jeffrey Rush's role is he's the the theater runner who owes all the money. He, I guess, he would probably he kind of doubles as like a producer slash director. Shakespeare is the director he's the writer but he's also kind of would in the movie realm would be the director too and then Tom Wilkinson is at the executive at the top who's who's really your money guy we have this kind of audition scene where they have all these ragtag characters come in he's really just pulling anyone he can just to get this production off its off its foot now the I want to talk a little bit about our stuttering Taylor here (laughs) So he's essentially Shakespeare turns to to Jeffrey Rush and he's just like you got to be you got to kid me with this like what <laughs> he goes well he's my tailor and he really That's wants right. really yeah. wants to be an actor it's a favor he's doing you know I forgot he owes him money yeah you know? oh, another guy owes money, money right right right, right so right, he's right. like all right oh, great man. now we have our narrator is is a star. now That's so fun. That's a nuance I missed I and missed that nuance there's more to this nuance so what. Now, we find out later on in the movie, right before the production of the play, and I do want to say, I hate to skip ahead with this, but the actual scenes of the play itself are enthralling and 100%. super fun to watch. Just really, I mean, I watched it in the second watch today, so I watched it, I watched it two days ago and then kind of ran through it and storyboarded it today. Just found myself watching every second of it and just loving it. It's, it's really done super well, but the main kind of tension in the beginning of that is, is this guy going to be able to spit it out and be able to... To, to yeah, do this, yeah. you know? and they're like, "How's this gonna work?" And it's like, "Ah, it's just gonna work." You know, yeah. it's just gonna work. So, <laughs> well, no. how's it gonna work? I don't know. It's a mystery. <laughs> it's a mystery, right? So, the reason this is included here, and the whole purpose of what they're alluding to, this is, is that there. It's actual. It's a practice in speech therapy to have people who are suffering from the stutter to go into acting. Because for a lot of people who are afflicted by stuttering, it's a tool that can help them by portraying another character or getting themselves in in the mode of performance art, they can lose their stutter. Hmm. And a lot of actors became actors because of that. That they were they were not actors first, they were stutterers first, and later went on to become actors through their speech therapy. And there's some notable names. I have a couple of them down. Bruce Willis. You know, there's a there's an allusion to that in some weird Disney movie that I remember watching as a kid. That, but okay, interesting. Here's a voice actor, James Earl Jones. Well, that is unbelievable because that is, is that, that not... is one of the most like charismatic men I've ever I've ever heard speak. So. Also, Emily Blunt and the great Dr. Grant from Jurassic Park, Sam Neill, okay. all people who were stutterers through speech therapy took acting classes and became actors. So, really cool kind of concept. And I mean, who who would have thought that Bruce Willis started as really just someone who was going to speech therapy and. They suggested acting to help him, and you know, Next here we thing you know, he's got his shoes off, he's killing a bunch of Germans, and, <laughs> and it's, yeah, it's diehard time. <laughs> Yippee Kaye. That's you get that ragtime scene. We, we meet our little character with the rats. He's supposed to be the famous playwright as a kid, John Webster. Yeah, that, who, uh, interesting. Like, I, I watched this movie so many times, and then it was only recent that I was like, this is someone. 
this this is like <laughs> like why are they throwing this in there? Yeah. Um, and then I looked it up. I'm like, okay, all right. I'd never read anything by John yeah, Webster. That's just a mouthy or right. Um, but apparently he's very graphic, gory, and, yeah. yeah. And and uh, what I just could, kept thinking of with this character, they have him playing with the rats and feeding the rats to the cats, and he's got this right. kind of the scowly look to him. And uh, I know that you're not going to get this reference, but there will be probably many people at home who will. He just totally reminds me of Ramsay from Game of Thrones. And he's just a a total sick weirdo who's, you know, torturing animals and, you know, and just devious and and literally ratting people out and, and right. hiding behind the scenes. And I'm not a Game of Thrones person myself, but I, I have watched it. So, you know, I know you're not at all. I mean, you've no, seen an episode. No, I'm not. A, I, but, I am a sci-fi and fantasy nerd, but that one I won't do for whatever <laughs> reason. I have no idea. <laughs> but anyone who, who is, and they, and they haven't seen this movie or, or need to give it another look, when you see that, that John Webster character, that is totally Ramsey Barton from... The annoying thing about this kid is, like, why is he always there? Yeah, like, can yeah. someone just kick this kid out? Like, get, like go to school or something. But we have our ragtag tag bunch, but we're still... It, it, well, he, he meets... He, we have the audition of, of Gwyneth Paltrow as... Master Kent. Master Kent. <laughs> so Master Kent auditions, and finally our boy Will is, has woken up and is interested in what's going on here. And he pops up and has to know, and then... Well, well the reason he's interested, too, is every single actor does... I think it's a Christopher Marlowe. Yes, uh, right. A right. rendition so, of the same so play. And he's like, oh, my God, kill me, shoot me now. Yeah. And then she walks up and does a, a sonnet, I think. And all of a sudden, he's like, oh, my God, she's doing something different. <laughs> like, thank God. And now he pops and up. She does it great, by the way. And then he pops up. And now we ensue on one of the most boring and uninteresting chases in Hollywood history, where he's running down the, <laughs> he's running down the market. And he can't I mean, catch up. I mean, I was exhilarated, but okay. <laughs> <laughs> we're now in a rowboat chase. He's chasing and... a man, by the way, <laughs> right. or what he thinks is a right, man. <laughs> right. And nothing really gets the crowd on the edge of their seat. Quite like a rowboat race. <laughs> hey, man, yes. Yale, Harvard, right. rowboating all the time, rowboating right down the river. So we and was that's probably the English Channel. Am I? I would imagine. Okay. I would imagine. Sure, I, someone I, might be fact-checking My geography me. is the worst, so... Goffing at me. Well, how, how does he not know? So he, he basically finds out where she, where she, he lives. Then he meets her after the wardrobe change and now is interested in Viola, in addition to Master Kent, thinks they're two different people. Yada, 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 we move on. So she now gets the call to be Romeo. Next day in the theater... All right, we're still act six actors short. Things aren't great here. And in roles to save the day, Mr. Ben Affleck. Yes, the entrance of the 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 band of uh, of players, I guess. The is... band of players. So we we essentially have our boy Ben Affleck, who goes by Ned in this movie, and he has <laughs> which, which is like the worst name you could give anyone. <laughs> so sorry, and he Ned. He <laughs> has his classic entourage. Of actors yeah. and another uh, another allusion to modern day Hollywood of the big star with all his buddies and they're going to come in and and save the day and when I, I forgot this too we were talking on the rowboats you have the the rowboat is is like a cab driver 
and he's saying, aren't you an actor? And yeah, then you have, yeah, you know, the yeah. Joe Fine's eye roll. Yeah, yes, oh, yeah. another oh, eye roll. I had Marlowe in my cab one time. Oh, another <laughs> eye roll. Another eye roll. Right. And then I think at one point he tries to, goes, you know, I've written a play. And it's like, oh, oh right. God. Oh, and then God. it's, yeah, so just more. That really more, kill me. Right, more <laughs> modern day. <laughs> right, right. right. You can, reminds you of the, uh, uh, you see Forgetting Sarah Marshall. Oh yeah, yeah well, Jonah Hill's got his mixtape. Yes, yeah, yeah. That's essentially it. Yeah, they so should have you... gotten Jonah Hill. I, mean, I think he was a baby at that point. But okay, yeah, right. Put Jonah Hill on the rowboat. I mean, he he would have done that rowboat job, right? Right. Have you, so, have you listened to my my mixtape yet? Well, no. I kind of just uh, looked at it and then just went on with my life. <laughs> <laughs> so Ben Affleck comes in, and now this is right around when. When Will is given his little writer's speech to the cast, try to pump him up a little bit, and our money man Wilkinson says, hey, "What's he doing? He's giving a speech? No, I'm the I'm the head of this. I'm giving the speech." Kind of pushes him out of the way and says, "Now you listen here. Actors aren't worth a dime, and you're gonna do what I say." And then now the actor who changes the project moves in, and now well even Wilkinson knows who this guy is. Ben Affleck. He right. comes in and he's I'm this guy, I'm that guy, I've, and just I've played this and I've played that. And it's like oh god, oh it's just great. How and much now, do you love yourself? Be honest. Affleck has said that 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 role was modeled after Tom Cruise. That's funny because I thought it was modeled after Ben Affleck. <laughs> <laughs> But yeah, that's supposed to be Tom Cruise. Tom Cruise, just, which I, I that, hey, that works. Yeah, I'm coming in. Uh, you know, uh, I'm gonna play this. I'm gonna say Mission Impossible. I've been in Mission Impossible. <laughs> I've been in. I'm drawing a blank on pretty much every Tom Cruise movie I've ever seen, except for Cocktail. Strangely enough, <laughs> which right. figure that one out. Well. As we're recording this, we're a couple days away from our Rain Man podcast, which right, is well, there you go. by now has already been out there, and we go through every single Tom Cruise movie, so Born our listeners should be... I got another one there. <laughs> our, our listeners should be well-versed on Tom Cruise stuff. Mission Impossible point. 1 through 15. So. Right, right. So you get that great exchange between our boy Affleck and Wilkinson. Affleck goes, who are you? <laughs> uh, which is great which is really a great it put, puts the the executive producer in his place right what is your name uh uh I'm the money <laughs> you may stay as long as you stay quiet did I and then right, he moves right. he moves on and he goes what's my part he goes well you're gonna you're gonna play Mercutio he's uh you know he's kind of this he goes what's the name of this play Mercutio <laughs> I will take the part. Because <laughs> they still don't have a name. So right, so it doesn't matter. Might as well be Mark Kershaw now. Be. He's well, we'll get... see. <laughs> so he's, he's really, really a fun character in this. I love his, the evolution of his character too, where he's, in the beginning, he's the hot shot. I was Henry yeah. VIII, and I was this, and I was that. And then you kind of, you see him develop, and he goes, well, wait a minute, why, why aren't I in this entire act? Or like, this, the... You say, well, no, but you're in this big important scene, da -da -da -da, and then you, you know, it's a big scene, and then you die. And then he's walking and saying, whoa, wait, whoa, what? I die? I die? Like, <laughs> like I've never died before, yeah. And then by the end, you kind of see him as like a mentor to a lot of what's going on, and he becomes real personally invested in the project. And Right, and that's when the name thing comes back, and he goes, you know, you're going to have to change the name. Yeah, I think you should name it Romeo, Romeo and, Juliet. and Juliet. Good idea. Good idea. Good idea, yeah. right. <laughs> 
as if they hadn't done that already. Right, right. <laughs> that is a turning point for his character as a, as a person. If, uh, I, right. So Shakespeare knew it wasn't going to be called Mercutio, but for for Ben Affleck to even admit that was like, right. He's right. he's realized now. This is a masterpiece. This is I'm a part of this master. I'm not the masterpiece. This is the masterpiece, and it's going to be good. One character we haven't mentioned yet here, who is the main adversary here in this in this whole project, is Colin Firth's character. Who Colin Firth does a great job in this one. He's kind of this annoying, very pushy. I'm I'm owed what I'm owed type of guy, and and he's just possessive over Gwyneth Paltrow's character. And yeah, and, to put it shortly, he's he's a quintessential douchebag. Like, <laughs> <laughs> yes. He doesn't give a shit about anyone. He thinks he's awesome, and he thinks he can just buy a wife, and then that's going to be that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And Will's one step ahead of him every step of the way. Honestly, Gwyneth Paltrow's one step ahead of him every step of the way, too. He's just really kind of just dragging behind. And another character we haven't mentioned, because she's really only in six minutes of this movie, despite winning the award, is Dame Judi Dench. And she just has the knack of putting old Colin Firth in his place in this one. And and I, first I'm going to say that's the best six minutes uh, anyone's ever put on scene. <laughs> Judy Dench is awesome in this movie. And yes, she 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 puts that douchebag in his place. <laughs> yeah, it's... Boy, she's an interesting character too, because this was another one where I came into this and I was prepared to kind of go after this a little bit too, is how you could... How you're giving an award... <laughs> To someone who's in the, in a six minutes of the movie, but just I mean, be Judy Judy Dench. I mean, and it's she's awesome. it's a it's a powerful six minutes. I mean, particularly mm-hmm. particularly she's in four scenes, right? And so do the, the last thing. one is you know when she really comes down and drops the hammer. I mean, you, it's kind of that like reveal moment. Of, Whoa, here she is! Drops the cloak, and she was watching the whole time. And yeah, yeah, right, it, right. It, she just has a way with words in this movie. She carries weight with every word she say she says, and she just does like she does a great job. It, it's and it's her only it's only her only Oscar. One of, of is that right? Seven nominations. It was her only win. Oh, I didn't realize that. If she has a great line. She she turns to the douchebag and she says, "If you're ever looking for your wife, I suggest you look at the Playhouse." Right, right. You know, right, it's right after yeah. Gwyneth Paltrow said how much she loves plays and and they can portray true love. Yeah, and... She's she knows her better than he does. So we get this kind of this kind of struggle, but is he, there's really kind of three different adversaries throughout this movie, three different villains, if you would. You have the initial one is the other Playhouse owner, who sure. is he pays. He pays Shakespeare for the play and then doesn't get it because Shakespeare works with Rush at the Rose. So, right, and right, then right. finds out that the Rose is putting on the play and bands together a, a group of merry men to go over and, and fight them. And then one of the <laughs> lamest... Great fight scene, by <laughs> Great fight scene. Oh, you were about to say the lamest fight scene? <laughs> one of the lamest... Sword fights I've ever seen in my. I mean, See, this it, is what happens. I, I'm like, great scene. Everyone's like, that was the worst scene I've ever seen. Oh, no, I don't what, I think what, it what was. What am I watching? I don't think it was a bad scene. I think it was a lame sword fight. Well, I, I don't think anybody came out of that sword fight with a scratch on them. Well, well, but that's that's a little bit of the point. There is that is it's it's players sword fight. All they know <laughs> is is stage sword fighting. Okay, so they don't really know how to like 
strike anyone. They're they're right. always just like swinging their swords around and knocking you know knocking metal together, and, and they don't know how to actually stab anyone. Yeah, like, I mean, it's a glorified pillow fight. I mean, and I yeah, think at some point someone is swinging a pillow around to add it. I mean, there's feathers uh, flying yes, around the place. Yes, Master Kent is uh, Master <laughs> Kent breaks out the pillow. Watch out! Oh my goodness! Um, but the funny thing with this scene is is that while it's going on, the original producer is flipping through the script, being like, "Where, where Jeffrey are Rush. we? Yeah, yeah where Jeffrey are Rush we on this? Yeah, right. <laughs> he thinks, yeah, he thinks it is going. On. So yeah, you're right. That's it. All these guys know, and yeah. and that's that's kind of probably what the what the joke is there. But <laughs> once you know, once they find out. Out that that the play is canceled because uh, you know we'll, we'll get into that when we do it. Burbage is the is the guy who runs the Curtain Theater, which is yes. the other theater he brings it in. But so the, he's the, kind of the one, the first adversary. This is, the second main one is obviously Firth, who is vying with with Joe Fines for the affinity of Gwyneth Paltrow. Now, what's kind of a little interesting movie fact is is Colin Firth is also in the English Patient, and in that movie, he's vying. For a love interest with Rafe Fines, Joe Fines' brother, so he's in two of these movies, vying yeah. with the Fines brothers. That's another one uh, that we'll talk about. Now one let day me ask you: Does the Fine brother win that battle too? The Fine brother does win that one. Yes. yes. <laughs> right, poor, so... poor Colin's striking out. Although, you know, although you could say that Colin wins. That's not a victory. <laughs> <laughs> it's a douchebag victory. It's a douchebag victory. Right, right, a du- a du- douchebag victory. And then I think the one that we mostly remember Colin Firth for is The King's Speech. Have you seen The King's Speech? Not a movie I've seen, but one I plan to see someday. Oh, now that's one that you will like. Yes. Talk about a great performance, uh, a great acting performance in that one. And Jeffrey Rush is in that one as well, too. So you get two of your your Shakespeare in Love alum. And then our third kind of adversary here is this, is, is the guy who's speaking in the, in the name of the Queen. And he keeps shutting down the theaters and really just wants to, Wants to stop the the fun from happening here. And when he finds out that Gwyneth Paltrow is actually, that Master Kent is actually a woman, then he has cause to to shut down the rows, and and then that's that. But we have... Essentially, the dude, he just hates fun. He just hates fun. Like, no more fun. In the name of the queen. (laughs) So we get this kind of fun bar scene where they're all... They're getting into... They're getting into their roles, and they're celebrating, and, and now... You know, they've all been drinking, and now our, our boy Wilkinson finds out, you know, because he's drunk and, and Shakespeare's drunk, and Shakespeare tells him, you know what, I, I, got, a, I got an important role for you in this play. <laughs> and now our boy, the executive producer, Fennyman Wilkinson, now knows that he's in the play, and he's just... He's just gaga over it. Yeah, this is this is his moment. This, this is, is this his is. whole life has led up to this moment. Me, I, I can be in the play, <laughs> and just it's just such a fun character to, to look at. And he's and when the play gets gets shut down and canceled, and they're all back in the bar drinking again, and you know he he comes in and well, what happened? What happened? <laughs> And they 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 do you uh, they do you justice as an audience to not even have them, they they have him tell him off screen because he probably sobbed and cried <laughs> like a you know yeah. went down to his knees. That's that's the extra scenes, if the deleted scenes. <laughs> right. in this, the, that's them drunken again, and he's sitting there. He goes, you know, I would have been good. <laughs> I would have been good. I found my blue hat. It's a perfect apothecary hat. Perfect apothecary hat. I want to talk about this this play scene. Because they finally, you know, our our boy who runs the 
the curtain theater, Burbage says, I have a, I have a stage and you have a play and the curtain is yours. Mm. Brings him in. They've lost Gwyneth Paltrow. Now Romeo's got to be played by our boy Shakespeare. So he's playing that role himself. Shakespeare. And then they got Juliet with this other man dressed mm-hmm. up as a woman. So he's he's got to take that role. Gwyneth Paltrow gets married to Colin Firth. They kind of zip right through That's that. That's marriage? Okay, right. Yeah, they really do zip through that. <laughs> yeah, it's a, kind of a bummer. And they don't yeah. want to linger on it too much. But. They do a great job of emphasizing love over political marriage. And yes. it's pr- particularly for what marriage was at that time, where it's marriages are assigned. A big point here, too. And I thought you were going there when you were bringing up the bar scene and you went to something a little more funny than, than serious. But what comes out in that bar scene is that Viola de Lessig realizes that Shakespeare's married. Yes. Yeah. That he's he's a married man. And with kids. I think it's a heartbreak for her at that moment that she realizes that. Mm-hmm. And then she's drawn away. And they, they also find out that Marlowe dies at that same time. And now he's feeling guilty because right. he more or less used Marlowe's name as an alias and got Colin Firth all ticked off. We later find out that it wasn't Firth who killed him. <laughs> right. <laughs> but so all these things kind of go wrong. Thank That's you, Ben Affleck, by the way. Right. He, cleared, he cleared that up real right. quick. <laughs> right. That's what he's here for. <laughs> so all these things kind of go wrong at the same time there. But they do a good job of portraying love and that's really sold through the through the Gwyneth Paltrow and Joseph Fine's characters. Their rapport together is is great. It's believable. Right. The scenes between them are authentic. You know, they're romanticized properly. They're not overdone. Yeah. They do a nice job of intertwining them rehearsing in the play and then making love and then kind of going back and forth and reading the play while they're together in their bedroom and then while they're on the stage with the other actors. That's kind of a cool scene and intertwining what's going on. You follow the path of the two of them to the point where the her getting married is yeah. not in the foreground. There's a there's a there's a heartbreak in their love, I think. In the reality is that this is a, this is this is a true love. This is this is a love that's pure and and real, but cannot last. And I think they do realize that. And I, and and a, a big question that I have throughout this whole thing is: Is she in love with the play, or is she in love with Shakespeare? Yeah. And and there's no correct answer to that. And um, to try to answer that question, I think it would be just. A pointless, pointless endeavor. She loves both. She loves the play and she loves Shakespeare. Yeah, and 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 it's hard to sort of separate out. If we change the ending, and 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 what's great about this this thing I'm about to say is that it it, it works with a lot of Shakespeare's love stories. Is that if we were to change the ending, really Shakespeare's tragedies. If we were to change the ending and to have them go off into the sunset, get married, live together, and then we do a, hey, where are they now type of thing. Mm-hmm. Well, they're beating the shit out of each other right, somewhere. Right, and then, yeah, yeah, the, like, the honeymoon's they, they, over. It's not working anymore. Right, the honeymoon's <laughs> over. This final play scene, I really dug. I mentioned this earlier. My favorite part of it was what they did with the crowd and how they, not necessarily had to cast the audience, but how they allowed the audience to act along with what was going on, that's a difficult effect to make work where you really got a sense of everybody was 
on the edge of their seat. Everybody, you could hear a pin drop in between lines in that place. Right. And this was working. And another one of the themes that kind of went throughout this movie was that drama and tragedy were not things that were going to sell. And it had to be comedy and it had to be a dog biting someone's ankle and pulling them around on the stage while they're dressed like a clown. Cheap laughs was the only way to get the attention of the masses. Another statement in Meta Hollywood yeah. where a movie like Shakespeare in Love couldn't possibly draw the interest of, of big crowds. It had to be a goofy comedy or explosions or people falling off stage. I don't know how they were able to be so effective with that, but they were. And you got that crowd sucked in to what was going on right from the moment where... And, and listen, Romeo and Juliet is a play that has been immortalized over centuries. Absolutely. I would imagine the first... You'd hope that the first people who ever watched it were like pretty... Their minds were pretty blown with what they were seeing. And then you get the reveal of Judy Dent watching along with the play the whole time. Right. Super, super powerful scene. She comes in, rules over the bet between Firth and I believe, Shakespeare. I believe there was a bet. I believe you lost. Yes, <laughs> right. And that, you know, love can be told through theater. Mm-hmm. She also kind of informs Gwyneth Paltrow that uh, she has an agreement to hold up to, too, and there's yeah. nothing going on. And she's she's headed to the new world with our with our boy, Colin Firth. Right, right. And this is, I think you're leading into this, but this is the end scene. And, and maybe you're about to say this is the lamest love ending scene, but I think this is actually one of the most compelling ending ending love scenes are we talking about the shots of her off in the water are we talking about the conversation between them backstage where, where does it it's begin the and conversation where it... between them backstage uh, essentially they're they're there saying uh, you know i'll never forget you they start writing his yeah. next play yeah. and it's and 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 that goes back to what i was saying before is this sort of gray air between is it the love for theater or is it the love for each other and it's and and it's really both it's their love is wrapped up in the theater and it's this beautiful sort of art love and each other they start writing his first play and he, he'll he'll throw out a line and then she'll like kind of correct him but no she's you know this brainstorming and, it and then yeah, what happens it's, well it's a mystery it's and, right and what's interesting enough about that scene is it was not included in the original Is that right? part of this movie. They sent the movie out without that scene of them backstage to test their audiences. They were not getting back what Wow. They were not getting back positive feedback about the ending. Mm. So they went back to the to the drawing board and they said, We need a scene to make the ending a little more impactful, making it, yeah. not not to over explain it, but to make it mean a little more. So they had to call back Paltrow and Fines, who were both in other places, really? working on other projects, had to fly them back in and film that scene. So that scene was filmed after the movie was completed. And it, it, it made all the world of difference, I agree with oh, you. It, and what's really, it really kind of masks a very unhappy ending. But just it, from, a, from a nuts and bolts standpoint of the fact that she's leap, she their love's she's over, she's going to over. America. You know, it's, he can't hop on a 747 and fly over and see her. I mean, she's going on a wooden ship and she ain't coming back. And by the way, America at this time is... is it's the new world. I mean, the, we're talking... Short like of 1600. 50 years, 50 years before, 
maybe still maybe still at this time you you can get one of two you can almost choose between one of two sentences when you're when you're sentenced to death you could choose death or you could choose america yeah right. i mean they would send prisoners there yeah. i mean we're, we're talking we're talking almost 200 years before the american revolution right this is right. it's that's it's, not an easy commute no no this movie has become very difficult to judge by itself because of our pop culture and our reaction to it. In watching it this week, I appreciate it. I enjoyed it. It's not my favorite movie. It's one of yours. I think it is one of my favorite movies, yeah. I think it's super well acted. I thought her performance in itself was... Unbelievable. It's a top-level leading actress role and performance. I look back at this and wonder why it's not fully remembered for what it is. And And... I think that Saving Private Ryan has everything to do with that. I was going to say that. I was, how many words is that? That's three words. Saving Private Ryan. That's why. <laughs> <laughs> so, I want to... We're going we're, we're gonna to get into our, our... We'll do our awards here first, just to kind of tie the ribbon on, on Shakespeare and Love. I want to talk about the themes of it a little bit, too. Who was the MVP of this movie for you? The MVP? Oh, most valuable player? Gwyneth Paltrow. Come on, now. I would agree. I would agree with you in this. I think it's pretty easy to say that. It's a, I don't think this movie is the same without her. Without her. No, it's... it's um, no, it doesn't even meet... Who, who are you going to... Who you who do you put... You can't have Gwyneth Paltrow. Who do you put in her place? Well, I'll tell you what. You know how she got this role? She broke up with Brad Pitt. <laughs> <laughs> she was good friends with Winona Ryder and stole the script off her desk. Now, stole you is a strong word. Yeah. She said, can I read this? Can I check this out? And she went behind her back and sure. went to the production company sure. and said, oh, I want to play this. When Winona Ryder had that pegged in, I don't think Winona Ryder... You put Winona Ryder in that role? I've never seen this movie. Well, yeah, you know, <laughs> I don't you know what? I've ever seen. Like, but but yeah. seriously, besides Winona, who would you well, put? This, who would you choose? This I was a project years before it started that was championed by Julia Roberts. And it was supposed to be Julia Roberts. It doesn't do it for me. It doesn't and do it for she, me. but she was trying to get Daniel Day Lewis to play Shakespeare, and that would have totally changed what this movie was. I don't Daniel know. Daniel Day Lewis doesn't do it as Shakespeare. I'm sorry, I love Daniel Day Lewis, but I don't know. gangs in New York. You know, like I, I, I picture him as like slitting people's throats, not like <laughs> vigorously writing the next awesome play love story. Like, <laughs> yeah, and you know, can he sell the love story the way that it was sold in this? He said no, and I think he recorded in the name of the Father Good instead. Reason. He didn't fit the role. He does, yeah. doesn't fit the role. Yeah. he knows that. So it was put on hold for years after that, and they eventually... You need a pretty boy. Daniel, that's, that's what I'm getting at. You need a pretty boy, and mm -hmm. Daniel Day-Lewis is not a pretty boy. It worked out the way it did, and I think that she really, obviously cemented herself as a movie star. She went on to do the, Mar the Marvel movies. Right, and none of them had Coldplay on the soundtrack, so... No, no, let's not. And I don't know when we'll talk about Coldplay again. What is your relationship with Coldplay? Were you ever a Coldplay fan? Did you ever... Well, I did see the movie Garden State. So, so yes, I was a Coldplay fan okay. when I first heard them. Yeah, I saw them play in 2006, and it was a pretty good concert. I, was, I, I dug them there for a couple of years, and they went in a very poppy, odd route. And... I, used to, I was a huge Coldplay fan, and then I never thought Brian Eno could ruin a band for me, but then that happened, so... <laughs> Yeah, they have their they have their so their older stuff is is okay and uh, it got very poppy and 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 odd to me and it just it seems like their just path hasn't aged well. 
But, yeah. you know, hey, you know, are, are they still married? Probably not. I mean, I don't keep up on that. <laughs> <so. laughs> I know that their son's name is Apple. Yeah, so that's... Apple so Martin. That's, that kid's going to have some issues. <laughs> yeah, it's an easy MVP for me in this. Uh, I would say that the honorable mention for me is Tom Wilkinson. I loved his character. I loved his path. I love what they did with it, his, his rise and fall. And in that, in that him delivering the, the performance on stage when his role kind of goes up and how excited he was to do it, how immersed he was in yes. that role. I think he yeah. even might have ad-libbed a little bit. Right. He got, right. <laughs> He's like, I added this. And then, and then just ends it with the, Ben Affleck does the big bow and Wilkinson looks around and bows too as if he like, uh, he's he, never, right, like right. he doesn't know how to do the end he's ending. never yeah, done right. it before you can see he's never done it before and he just that's uh, very he's cool financed all these things he's never actually watched a play right I, I remembered as i was putting this one in to watch i remembered i'm like oh i think i really liked wilkinson's character in this yeah and oh you know, that's right that's just, it was one of the things i remember from my first viewing and and totally dug here so it's not not a, I mean, it's a very much a supporting role honorable mention not an mvp Spot, but look, an honorable mention I'm going with is the nurse. I'm, I'm 100. We haven't brought up the nurse, we haven't brought well, up the so nurse. We got to mention the nurse, yeah. So what's, so, what's up with the nurse? I mean, she is she is totally um beside herself that she has to hold in this lie that Gwyneth Paltrow is dressing up as a man, <laughs> running off to the playhouse, and and then God knows she's not there, so she doesn't know what the hell's going on. <laughs> She does a great job in this movie, and and my favorite moment with her is the awakening. I'm, I'm forgetting Shakespeare. Which one takes the which one takes the sleeping? Um, I think it's Juliet takes Juliet the sleeping takes pill. the sleeping pill. Right. So she wakes up, she's finding yeah. Romeo, but but wait, he's dead. So good. Oh yeah, it's great. He's dead. Yeah, really cool. Fun, um, fun, like favorite moment. Yeah, favorite and, moment. and that goes back to the the crowd and how the crowd was portrayed, and and, yes. and you really yes. got that sense that they were that they were in on every little motion of what was going on, and it's very cool that they were able to shoot that the way that they did. Now, an interesting fact about the nurse is now you know the, there's also the nurse in the actual play, played by that kind of heavy set guy who, yes, uh, right where they yeah, right, yeah. He's, he's dressed he's dressed as the nurse and. That's when they're in the bar and he's like, I, I would have been great. And he's like, I would have been too. And then he just passes out, you know. <laughs> they are a real-life husband and wife, the two nurses. Is that right? Yes. All the right. two nurses in this All are right. real-life husband and wife. Get down with the nurses. All right. The nurses. I think just to put a cap on, on, on Gwyneth Paltrow's MVP performance here in this, and who is our first female MVP for this, is that right? for this show. Yes, we've had... We've had four male winners leading up to this point. But yes, and she totally earns in this. And if you're going to make a movie where your theme is women and women's rise in, in film and women's rise in the workplace in general, you really need to hit a home run on all fronts with your female lead. And they really did that. And I kind of like watching this in 2020 and seeing what everyone's talking about today with the female directors. and yeah. It's applicable. It's totally applicable. And I think it's it's one of those where I think if someone were to put it on, they would realize how relevant it is today and yeah. for a movie that came out over 20 years ago. Right. And, and one of the, um, I don't know, tough things about this is, is the time. If this movie literally was two years later and Saving Private Ryan was alongside it two years later... 
Saving Private Ryan wins hands down. I agree with that. Post 9-11, Saving Private Ryan wins hands down. I agree with that. It's it's a tough thing to say because I, I don't think our society ever lost the idea that, that we, you know, women in the workplace is still a serious issue and, and, and we got to get them in the workplace. But 9-11 kind of like stopped every concern and was like... Yeah, support the troops and and war is real. I think in the nineties we were kind of like, well, you know, World War Two happened, and you know now we kind of just have skirmishes, and not really, man. Kuwait was real. If it was two years later, Saving Private Ryan wins hands down. Yeah, just yeah, just because of the time. Definitely an interesting, interesting concept. So I heard someone bring it, and, and this is just in the thought of the female director situation, and I thought that one of the problems this year is that the five directors that were nominated are iconic, I mean, they're not all iconic just yet, but they're on their way to being, or they did really above and beyond performances. And we're talking about Tarantino and Scorsese in there. You know, then you're talking about Todd Phillips and the Joker, and it's kind of hard to not include him. I think maybe he could have been the one you pushed out. Mm -hmm. And then you're talking about Parasite, which obviously won. It's a tough year because there were also some impressive female directorial boards there's a little woman being one of them you have to be fair with how you're doing things you can't just nominate someone just because of their race or their gender or what it is you have to you have to do the best projects first in the end it's art in the end it's art in the end it ha and, it, and if you're going to do one of these award shows and take it seriously it, it kind of has to be now I, I heard someone bring this theory up and what would you think about this what if they had a male director and female director category it's an interesting concept where at first you go well, wait, what are you talking about? Why would you separate them like that? Really? But we do it with acting. Act, actor, actress. Um, I think it's a bad idea. And, and here's why. It, it's, not, it's not an equivalent comparison to say, well, we do it, we do it with actors. Mm -hmm. All right, there's, a, there's, a, there's a male actor and then there's a female actress. Those are two separate roles. Mm -hmm. and, they, and they both take on these essential but different parts within the movie. The director is the director. Whether the director is female, whether the director is male, whether yeah, the, the director is from Pluto. The job is different, and the job yeah. is the same for the director. Exactly. exactly. And and probably an equal comparison would be why we differentiate between lead actors and supporting actors. They right. have a different role exactly. in what they're doing. Exactly. Yeah. They, they, their role carries a different, a different importance. Mm -hmm. It's interesting to think about, and we'll, we'll come back to this again a little bit when we just talk about relevance today, which we've already really discussed a little bit, so we won't go too crazy into it. But this is a tougher question. It's kind of always is interesting each week to ask, who is your LVP of this movie? Who is the least, least valuable player? I, I want to go with, uh, with the kid, but I just love him so much. <laughs> um... My least valuable player. I mean, now remember, we were it's performance, so it's you can't just pick the bad guy because you don't like him. Because well, you don't no, like his character. No, the bad but, guy like, was great. Yeah, he was, the bad guy he was, was great. He was yeah. great if, being if an he asshole. Makes you, yeah, if, he was a great if, asshole. Yeah, a, a great heel makes you hate him. So yeah, that's him doing so, his yeah, job. Oh yeah, one hundred percent. The taxi driver is great. He's great. <laughs> so we're, how do I pick him? We're digging him? deep. How do we're I digging pick deep him? Down the... Um. So look, I'm going to tell you right now. Uh, my least valuable player, and and ugh, do I do this? Do I do this? Because the theme here is women empowerment, but I'm gonna go with the muse, the original muse. Okay. She, I never understood her. 
I didn't get why he was attracted to her. She never was really nice. Mm-hmm. Um, and she cheated on him. <laughs> yeah. But again, that's um, part of the heel nature of what she was. She was Well, a, that's true. That's a good point. Yeah. And I think it, I would explain that. I was just thinking he was just so Desperate. eager Desperate. to get amused that it was the first girl he saw, sure. pretty much. And she was, uh, as you could see, very promiscuous in there. She was hanging out with everybody. Okay. That's fair. I have... I have mine, and we see what you think about this. It's a little bit... you got to follow me a little bit here with this, because we do have a lot of moving parts here with this cast. So I'm going to pick... Ben Affleck. No, no absolutely no, okay. not. <laughs> I love this. The Burbage character who runs the other theater house. Who's that's really one. the first adversary. Isn't here's that the one who sleeps with his, his original muse? Uh... He does, but yeah. not, he's not the first one to. He okay. does again later on. <laughs> she gets around a little bit. Okay. And here's my reasoning, is because that role should not be a role that I have to so elaborately explain as to who it is and what he was and what the actor's name is. Yeah. Because And he plays such a key role in this whole thing where he's the first adversary that the, two, the, the, the movie literally starts out with an explanation that there's two houses written on the screen that there are two theater houses and they're competing with each other and you see Jeffrey Rush to the point where he's nominated for an right. award but the other guy though he comes in with the sword fine not even sure who he is yeah, yeah he doesn't he doesn't stand out enough amongst a cast where it's so tough really to stand out really your least valuable player is Tom Stopper I mean he didn't write it the right way <laughs> <laughs> you sound like Grant from last week with Crash where he was throwing the, the writer director under the bus I, I just think that if you got an actor to play that role and I didn't throw him under the bus. You did. <laughs> <laughs> That's a defense attorney right there. You could have you could have come in with a with a guy to really leave an impact there because he's ultimately the one that comes in and saves the day with the play, and gives him his theater house over to bring them in. And he's kind of a forgettable face, a forgettable role in that, even though he played an important part. So I, I, I'm going to go with him. It's a little tricky because this is a very well acted, well cast movie with. An ensemble that fills into their roles pretty well, and and there's a lot like you said. I want to give it to the little rat boy, but you know, like he's <laughs> but great. he's so great. Yeah, he's great. <laughs> he was awesome. Yeah, little Ramsey no, Barton. Now, now there's a where is he now? Like, what did that kid end up doing? <laughs> uh, I mean, like any child actor, I'm scared to look it up. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> we touched on this a little bit, and boy, legacy is a scary word to use when talking about this movie because we know what the legacy is. But that aside, because that's obviously going to be our next conversation. This movie, as far as its impact today in themes and we've said it twice already it is super relevant and it's interesting to me that and we've obviously i don't want to say we i'm not involved with the industry in any way shape or form <laughs> other than sitting and watching these movies Wait, i have a podcast i'm in i'm in the industry <laughs> <laughs> hollywood and film has come a long way since 1998 and where they were in 1998 and what they were perceiving, as far as they've come, that thematic issue is still very prevalent today. And and, and as you mentioned earlier in the podcast, you don't have to tie this alone to film at all. I mean, women in the workplace all over, it's an issue. Yeah. I mean, it's ongoing. Yeah. And one of the greater ironies, and I, I mean, I didn't want to bring this up at all, but I'm going to because you put the movie on and it's one of the first names you see in the closing credits the irony of this is this is a Harvey Weinstein project. And is that right? Yeah. And she wow. thanks him in the speech. And it's Whoa. one of the first names you see, you know, after Miramax, Harvey Weinstein. Oh, that's and he, yeah, and he is, you know, he's one of the people who, you know, he was the financer of this. Of this. Now, listen. He's, he's a financier. <laughs> yeah, right. 
But oh my to, God, to, to think about horrible. a movie about women in the film industry and having Harvey Weinstein name attached to it. Now, listen. Listen, yeah. no, I don't mean to ruin one of your favorite movies. Is that, <laughs> if we threw, it's, it's the worst movie ever made. <laughs> if we threw out every movie that Harvey Weinstein has name attached to, we'd be getting rid of 25% of every movie we've seen. He, his, Very true. He, Especially in the 90s. And thankfully, he was outed for what he was, and, and he's been yeah. more or less been eliminated from our, our daily conversations, hopefully. Yeah. I, would, I would challenge anyone to go back and watch this movie and just let the themes of it sink in and take it for what it is. And I think that it is a movie that really provokes a lot of thought and can provoke a lot of conversation and applies to what goes on, not just in the, in the theater, but, but all over today. And it's, yeah. Think of the absurdity of what, of what went on in the time. And, and, and then we can think, and then we can relate that to nowadays of things that go on now, but the, absolute absurdity of having men play women on the stage. Yeah. And and it, and I when mean, you take it to the most dramatic extreme, which is what this what it was back then. It was a dramatic extreme. So women if there's a woman on stage we're shutting the theater down. Yeah. It, yeah. it's crazy. And, and people are going to jail. Probably dying. Yeah. Yeah. Like yeah. And and in early Hollywood you saw that with race too as you had white actors wearing blackface. You know, yeah. it, it's, it's it's crazy how far we've had to come. Why were we ever on that extreme end? Right. I sometimes sometimes with with absurdities, like you just think like if you were to explain this to a five year old, five year old would go, well, why? <laughs> like, well, we have men play women. Well, why are there no women around to play the women? <laughs> like, yeah. And it was like this weird. I I. I don't even get it. I don't even get what they were trying to prove then. Is that... Yeah, that only men can do theater. It's just a very odd... It's, it's, it's an odd exclusion. And, and you, wonder, you wonder, do these things go on today where, where, where we're going to jump 200 years into the future? We'll look back and be like, well, that's freaking crazy. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure. I'm sure. So I, I think that, 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 as we said, that's thematically relative. And, you know, the last kind of question we always ask with this is... And this will be before we get into the other films that were that were nominated. There's 92 Best Picture winners. Hopefully there will be 92 episodes of Best Picture cast. That's the goal. You know, we'll see. We'll see. Ideally, I want to kind of come up with some sort of ranking and kind of set them up. So, 1 to 92. 1 being the best out of all the Best Picture winners. 92 being the worst. Now you are. Did like, you provide paperwork for this? Yeah. I don't know, like. <laughs> so you, of course, you haven't seen them all. Yeah. If there was a little vote done on someone, a group of people have seen them all, put up a case for where you think that a movie like this should should end up. You don't have to rank it up against against Saving Private Ryan because Saving Private Ryan didn't win. <laughs> Reaching for a beer right now because I'm getting nervous. <laughs> um, look. And Shawshank didn't win either, right? It did not. Yeah. Wait, so so your question is, where does... Where where would you project it to rank? Shakespeare in Love? Yeah, in a one, one being <sighs> the best film on the, out of all the best pictures, 92 being the worst film in those best pictures. Push comes to shove. How many movies do you think are going to be ahead of it? How many movies do you think are going to be behind it? No one it? has my last name here, so no one can, no one can shoot me, right? <laughs> You're safe. <laughs> uh, I'm, I'm, I'm going this one's in the top ten. 
I'm 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 saying it's in the top ten. I'm gonna go with the latter part of the top ten. I'm I'm gonna say probably eight, maybe nine. So you think if you saw all the best picture winners, you'd end up with this being in your top ten? Eight or nine. Yeah. Yeah. It won't be in mine, I promise you that. Yeah, I know. It's that. not gonna be in the top twenty. It's I'm probably crazy. not gonna I'm be crazy. in the top Everyone thirty, forty, me. or fifty either. <laughs> I liked this movie. I did enjoy it's this movie. It's great. It's a I'll tell you what, it's a it's a better movie than I thought it was today than it was when I first saw it. I appreciate this movie more having done this project. There was more it, this was way more thematic than I remembered it. Uh from a from a Hollywood standpoint, not just with, with yeah. women in Hollywood, but just every everything it, it truly every, is a meta Hollywood film. Men in Hollywood. It's like it, Yeah, know, it's, every part of it. You know, it, it has so many themes in there. It has so many relevance to to writing, production. Here's the thing we didn't hit on is there's this funny, consistent joke throughout throughout the whole thing is, where's the dog? The guy keeps saying, where's the dog? Yeah, yeah. And I, I think you brought it up a yeah. little, the dog pulling the underwear. But there is a statistic. I, at one point in my life, I thought I wanted to be a, um, um, a book editor. And so I took, a, I took an editor, editor class. Wow. And there was a statistic thrown around that, like, like, so many books written about dogs become bestsellers. It's like the, uh, like a very high percentage of books written about dogs become bestsellers. And that was kind of the joke in there. Is that, then, is that wait, wait, there's no dog. How are you going to attract people here? Yeah, right. And, 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 and then you look at that movie, A Dog's Life, comes out. And they're probably saying, all right, we're going to make a movie about a dog's life. People are going to love it. But then it comes out that there's... That there was animal cruelty in it, it becomes one of the most infamous hated movies of all time. Talk about uh, something blow. Kill me, yeah. <laughs> right, Blow it up right. in your face. But yet my dog Skip, like, like, yes. like, like, like gross, gross, like hundreds of thousands of dollars, <laughs> hundreds of millions of dollars. Or Air Bud, and it's seven Air, sequels. Air Bud, hey, there's a good one. I mean, one in 92, listen, it ain't 92, it ain't one. I would say, I, uh, this movie, out of the, out of the, if we do back 45... Front 45, back 45. I mean, push comes to shove. This one's probably in the back 45. I think it's probably somewhere in the 40 to 50 range. Okay. You know, we could sneak into that top 45. There's a lot of good films on there. There's a, lot of, there's a lot of not so good films on there, too, that this is definitely better than. If I look at the other films that won in the 90s, I mean, I, I prefer Titanic to this movie. I prefer Forrest Gump to this movie. I'm with you on that. I, I prefer fact, Schindler's List to this fact, movie. And I know I've told you this before, is that... I think Forrest Gump is is my number one. Really, is is Forrest Gump is is just a outstanding movie, and a little bit of what I wanted to get into here is that Shakespeare in Love is the end note to something that was going on in '90s Oscars movies, and something about the '90s, and I'm like, why couldn't I have been dating in the '90s? Because Everyone was, about, everyone was about love stories. And love stories were resonating with people. And something, and, and it ends with Shakespeare in Love. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know what the movie that wins after it. Um, it ain't a love story, I'll tell you that. It ain't a love story. American right? Beauty. American it's Beauty. It's an anti-love story. Kill me. Yeah. Um, that's, that's on, how many other 92? That's 92. <laughs> <laughs> I think that, I think there's a couple I could show you that you believe it or not, you'll think is worse. But, uh, um, but, but look, so the love story was big in the nineties and this kind of closed out that book of love stories. 
and we haven't really gotten it back. We don't want love stories anymore. And why is that? that it, that's a little upsetting. It was Forrest Gump, which is a beautiful love, st- a beautiful story. But mm-hmm. but the love story in there is beautiful. Yeah. And the one before that was what? Well, uh, I'm chronologically that was a love story. Yeah. Well, well, English Patient is English a love patient, story right. for sure. Titanic is obviously Titanic. a love story. Uh, Titanic. I mean. You don't get a better love story than Titanic. I hated that movie just because I was in fifth grade and everyone freaking loved Leonardo DiCaprio. We're, but but look, that movie is such a great love story. Titanic is a very interesting film where we went from it being one of the most popular movies of all time, if not the most popular movie of all time, to I don't like this because it's popular, to us forgetting its strengths as a film to now I think I think that we're starting to remember it a little better than than we did for a while like to to me I think that's believe it or not it's an underappreciated movie and you think so I think Titanic is an underappreciated movie movie. I think that a lot of people make a face when they hear Titanic Titanic I'm not gonna watch that and I think that if you go back and and I'm definitely that's one of the episodes I'm super eager to to do because I think there's a ton to talk about there and from a pop culture standpoint alone, but that's an interesting story, an interesting idea about about love stories and and where they play through. We've come to the moment of truth here. As we've said every episode so far, and we'll continue to say, this is not a who should have won podcast. If you won, you got the green jacket. You're getting your episode. Shakespeare and love won. Can't take it away from it. Okay, so right before we get to the main event, we start talking Shakespeare and love versus Saving Private Ryan. I do want to kind of throw something at you because now last week we discussed Crash with Grant Z and I know Grant Z is a a huge Star Wars fan so I had to find a way to kind of tie Crash into Star Wars and we did through the box office but and I did want to do a little slight correction from last week's episode as I misspoke and do want to get it out there that we do fact check around here. Mariah Carey recently became the first artist to have a number one hit in four consecutive decades. Oh, wow. Of course, I misspoke, and I said the 80s, 90s, 2000s, and 2010s. It was the 90s, the 2000s, the 2010s, and the 2020s. I'm still getting my head around the idea that the 2020s are a thing. But because Grant is such a big Star Wars fan, I found a way to tie it in. So you are an X-Files aficionado. Uh, aficionado, um, is an understatement. I fucking love that show. All right, there you go. And you're, I think, one of the few people, if not the only person I know, who stuck with it through the end, after David Duchovny and Julian Isch were gone. Oh, yeah. It was me and, and every, um, I don't know, 15, 16-year-old girl that, like, was obsessed with David Duchovny. I was, I loved the show, and they just loved David Yeah, but wasn't he been gone after a while? Oh, that's true. Yeah, yeah. so you were there back for in on the last. The that's true. Oh, yeah, that's, that's true. Like you stuck at F&M oh, I stuck it. I'm like, why are you guys leaving? The David Duchovny's gone. I'm like, fuck that guy. We got Agent Doggett. <laughs> uh, Doggett. Yeah, I, I actually Robert Patrick. Strangely enough, I I did have a uh, obsession with Agent. Uh, ooh, um, I want to say Torres, but um, that's right. I think Reyes, right. Reyes. 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 Agent Reyes. I thought she was very. Yeah. So you you actually stuck with the X Files beginning to end, and you've yes, seen all yeah. the X Files episodes. Yeah. The so the world now, ends in 2012, by the way, according to the X Files. According to the X Files, yeah, we're, we're already over. Yet the X Files has existed beyond 
2012. Which they is, had episodes. Which in... is just crazy. Yeah, right. That's right. <laughs> That's right. I can't even get my head around that. One of my projects for this week was finding a way to tie in Shakespeare love to the X-Files and find the connection so it could be seamless. So you didn't bring your dry erase boards with all the algorithms that you needed uh, no, to, to, no. to, but to get this together. No, but I just said there's got to be someone yeah, in the somewhere. cast. There's got to be someone in the cast here who is that right? intersects. Is that right? No. I was unable no. to find that. However. <laughs> okay. So however, this, and there however, wasn't. So. Yes. But stick with me. So Gwyneth Paltrow's performance in Shakespeare in Love was obviously well rewarded. And the talk of the town, as we said, right up to the Oscars, she became a total star after it. And she swept the awards. She won the SAGs, Screen Actors Guild. She won Golden Globes all the way through. Every female lead that was there was hers, and she, and she took it. So that year, when she took home the Screen Actors Guild Award and she took home the Golden Globe Award, both David Duchovny and Gillian Anderson were both up for lead actor and lead actress in a television series for both awards. The Screen Actors Guild Awards and the Golden Globes both go to TV and movies. Oh, wow. So both David Duchovny and Gillian Anderson were up for Screen Actors Guild Awards in their lead roles. They didn't win. For X-Files. For the X-Files. Okay. And Golden Globes for the X-Files. They were nominated three years in a row, 97, 98, and 99. In those roles, they won in 97, were nominated and lost in 98 and 99. So that's the X-Files time. <laughs> is that award season. Somewhere they were right, it was there. It was yeah. right in the... They were was, winning in awards the same time Gwyneth Paltrow was winning X-Files was hot while Shakespeare in Love was taken home. You know the saddest thing about X-Files is because, like, the best thing about X-Files is the dynamic between Mulder and Scully. In reality, they apparently had, like, a toxic relationship. Like, they hated each other. Really? They're always vying for the spotlight. Like, yeah, they did not like working with each other. Jeez. I know, and they worked with each other for, like, ten years. Yeah, and they're they're tied together forever in, in pop culture eyes. Now, what are your top... X-Files episodes. Well, I mean, if we're going to go top, number one, should I go should I Well, you don't have to one? necessarily rank them in order, but give me your top episodes. So, what so, are your favorite so, episodes? So when you, first of all, before I answer the question, mm-hmm. when you ask that question, the thing is, for the first question is, are you a Monster of the Week person, or are you oh, very a... Very good, and I was prepared to tell you this. are you a, uh, what do they call Monster of the Week, or theory, or yeah, a... Yeah, theory, uh, philosophy. Philosophy, or, yeah. I am a Monster of the Week guy, for sure. Me too. 100%. Me too. The ones I remember are the Monster of the Weeks. The... I grew up I grew up as a philosophy guy. I wanted to know, what the is the government theory, doing? I think my why, are they, why are they screwing with us? Like, I wanted to know. Now I'm just like, I just want to see the Monster of the Week. Yeah, theory. and they kept you on such a runaround, too, that... Yeah. Yeah, no, it was... I don't think they even knew what the theory was. <laughs> <laughs> right. I've tried to rewatch a couple of times. I can't even follow... The crycheck episodes were, were always fun, but yeah, I'm a great, monster of the week great, guy. Great. So what what are your what are your your top? Episodes? So so my top pick is um, and I'm so torn with this one, but my top pick is Pusher. Pusher okay. is Pusher is great. Now explain for the people. So what Pusher for is for people who haven't seen this, um, Pusher is an individual who has a psychic ability to. To convince someone to do whatever he wants them to do. So there's this great, there's this great. It's actually one of the opening scenes. Cops come in. He's 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 wanted. 
The cops come in, they arrest him, throw him in the police car, and he's sitting in the back of the police car, and he sees off on the distance a um, a truck coming, and the, that truck is blue, and he whispers into he whispers into the police officer's ear, cerulean blue, cool, cool, cerulean blue, and that officer just pulls out right in front of the truck, which is a cool cerulean blue, and smacks him. He's able to break out and then go on with his his hijinks. Now, I distinctly remember that episode because I saw that episode at a friend live at a friend's house. I mean, I'm little at this point, yeah, but yeah. it and in the middle in the middle of it. Like, his parents came in and they're like, this show's too violent, we need to shut this off. I'm like, ah, no, the pusher! You know, like, come on, we gotta see what happens to the pusher! And, uh, you know, you That you, was you a violent episode. Yeah, it was. Oh, yeah, well, it starts, yeah, with the, yeah, the oh. cop shootout and they're talking about... They got another guy, another guy that he convinces him to, to jump himself off. on fire. Oh, right. Like, oh, that yeah, was... Yeah. I'm, I'm actually... I'm newly traumatized by just remembering <laughs> that. <laughs> but yeah, no, so... Now, thankfully, you... I think you taped, like, every episode. So I would Probably, just... I just yeah. went home the next day. That's MacGyver. Uh, yeah, like that. <laughs> and MacGyver. Now, have you ever... This came up last episode, too. So was it... Have you ever seen MacGruber? I've never watched MacGruber. I think because I was so upset that they actually came out with that because I'm such a big MacGyver fan. <laughs> they were, they, you didn't like they were teasing So I didn't even like the new MacGyver. Uh, I'm oh, such a MacGyver right. purist. So I... And, and and just so everyone knows, I'm not that old. I, <laughs> I was born probably when MacGyver well, was it like was on syndication out. on USA. When yeah, we were right. Older. I just I would come home like, oh my god, MacGyver's coming on like this syndication episode of MacGyver. Like, gotta gotta watch that one. Right. Um, and I taped it. Well, not every episode, but the, the days now. of the old VHS tape where you just pit record and and you oh, can right. have them. MacGyver MacGyver Night Show MacGyver like I I I made own, my own names for them. But yeah, but I anyway. knew that you were on that with MacGyver or with with X Files, and I was like, oh, my little brother's taping this. I think we'll be all right. I think. Uh, so for all the listeners out there, if you haven't concluded by now, like I'm a fucking nerd. <laughs> <laughs> I, I I think that. I think you'll be fine in this community with that. <laughs> now, what, what what's a runner up for? Now, that's a great. I I, I didn't prompt you on this. You came out. I totally. I, I didn't think of that episode. That is the pusher. I'm going to go home and watch the pusher. It's great. Oh, uh, it's awesome. And and not not an episode I recommend. But there is a sequel to the pusher. I there's, remember that the guy comes back. He comes back. Um, it's it's good, but it's not great. It's not not in my top. You got 10, a couple. You got a couple 20. others, man. I mean, I know I love the thing, and I know it's a little bit of a ripoff, but fire. Well, I think it's called fire, or just it's called ice. Totally one of mine that I was going to say. Yeah. What what I a mean, cool episode! Yeah, with the dog and and uh, the, yeah, and, and they got a test like who has the yeah. worm, and you know who's yeah. in that. There's there's two notable people in that episode. One is Banya from Seinfeld. Yes. It's gold, Jerry. It's gold. Yes. He's, he's the guy who's the big sports yes. fan. He's a San Diego Chargers fan who's like listening yeah, to the yeah. listening to the old tapes of Dan Fouts and the Chargers. Right. And then the other, and I'm pretty sure this is the same episode. The female lead is one of the main women in Saw. Cherokee. Whoa. Her first name is Cherokee. She plays Amanda in Saw. 
who is, you know, survives Jigsaw, Jigsaw goes on to work for him. And those of us who listened to last week's episode know that Crash is, in fact, the prequel to Saw, as we proved Crash in Crash is episode. the prequel. Yes, we proved oh, this. Oh, wow. We proved this without a so doubt. So that's what happens. Yes, it, yes, yes, exactly, exactly. They are all oh, his, yes, we proved right. this if without... We don't fix this problem, yes, and the, we get Saw. Exactly. Oh, Both okay. Lionsgate films, we, we proved this without a shadow of a doubt okay. in our last episode on Crash with Grancy. Grancy 100% fully agrees, I'm licensed to speak for him, that Crash is the prequel to Saw 3. Okay. Though you may have thought Saw oh, 2 right. was the prequel to Saw 3. Uh-uh-uh, ah, yeah. it's Crash. I gotta rewatch those in order, yeah. Fire and Ice, though, was a great episode. A couple other, like... I think it's just Ice, though, right? Uh, it might be, yeah, ice? it might be Ice. I don't remember. It might yeah. be Ice. A couple other ones that stick out to me that I just loved, and I could have gone... I got one more, I got one more. Okay. I got one more, and it's and it's... It's good. It's so like it's so like yeah, like trees. Does the bugs live in the trees or something? Yeah, they. But it's so cool. So they, the darkness. It's called darkness. Yeah, I think yeah. darkness. Is it called darkness falls or that was just some shitty movie? <laughs> darkness. I think it's what it's called. And so when it gets dark, these green bugs come out and just totally kill you. <laughs> they are now stuck in a cabin. It's Mulder and Scully. It is the park ranger who's totally like, we gotta prosecute these, uh, <laughs> these, uh, these nature terrorists. Tree hugging hippies. Yeah, yeah, right. And then, and then you got like the tree hugging hippie, like, man, you're killing stuff. You're killing stuff. And they end up finding out that actually the the timbers had had cut down the tree so old that it contained these. These bugs in them, and yeah, that's like what's a, killing yeah, kind of like a prehistoric, like alien. Yeah, it wasn't a virus; it was like a bug, right? It was, it was a like, bug. like a little it was fly, a bug. yeah, yeah that were... had been dormant in a tree. Um, and and it's just a very cool where they're like savoring oil to like keep the light on, and it's it's just such a fun, cool, cool episode. Shawnee Smith is the actress's name who was in that episode of The X-Files and in Saw. I'm getting my Indian tribes mixed up, my Native American tribes mixed up. Shawnee Smith. Now, one of the, now, one of my favorite X-Files episodes, and I could have used this as a tie-in for our next conversation with the Saving Private Ryan Uh topic. Uh Giovanni Favisi is in an episode where he's the kid who controls the lightning. And I think Jack Black is in that episode, oh, too. Oh, Jack Black is yeah. totally in that episode. Yeah. What a great episode. Cool episode. Um, and there's a... I think, a little silly. I, it's not on my top. It's not on my top I mean, there, the silly is not. It's not, um, it's not it is effective. great. But it's great. Um, yes, he controls lightning. Yep. And he's, and he's like, weirdly obsessed with this woman in town. It's creepy. Mm-hmm. It's, and I it's think creepy. there's a... They play a filter song in that. Yes. I think Hey Man, Nice Shot. Had Filter been out by then now? Oh, wow. Yeah, well, yeah, I mean, it must have been. Filter was like 99. Yeah, is he plays, no. Yeah, but I mean, Hey Man, Hey Man, their first Jack album. Jack Black was like a baby in that. Like, Yeah, one of his earlier things. So that's cool. And as I mentioned in, in a previous, yeah. is that in that and in Saving Private Ryan, right? Is and like, yeah, I was just re-watching the movie. I had watched it, I re-watched it today. Um, and that scene where he's dying, where he's he's got the bullet in his gut. I think it went through. I think he, I think yeah. they say there's an exit wound. That's a sad scene. That yeah, is I just. Think there's a little lightning in that scene too, right? He's looking up at the sky, and there's yeah. He's had, he has a dream right before. The, and he's the medic. Yeah, he's a medic. He's the medic, so they 
they uh, this is the saddest point. This is the saddest point where yeah. they say they say tell us tell us how we can help you. Tell us what to do. Tell us how we can help you. And he just looks at them and says how about a little more morphine? Yeah. yeah. He knows he's going to die. Yeah, tough. It's very sad. And we're about to we're about to get in that combo. But I did want to just mention also that as because I brought this up in a previous episode in the one Floor of the Cuckoo's Nest episode. There's an, an episode where Billy Bibbit from One Floor of the Cuckoo's Nest plays a man on death row who has psychic abilities. And he helps them find... X-Files right now. <laughs> X-Files back, yeah. We got one more X-Files. <laughs> he helps them find... There's there's two kidnapped teens. And he's yes. on death row. It, the episode's great, called... Great episode. The episode's uh, called Under Beyond the, the sea. sea. Beyond the Sea. Beyond the Sea. By Bobby Darren, everybody. Beyond the Sea by Bobby Darren. Not Frank Sinatra, not Dean Martin. No, Bobby but, Darren. Oh, I thought he starts singing the Frank Sinatra song. He does. Song. Yeah, it's not Frank Sinatra. It's Bobby Be careful. Darren. Be careful. Oh, wow. We've made this mistake in the past. Bobby Darren, Beyond the Sea. But yes, he, he plays Brad Dorif is the actor's name. He plays the actor on Death Row. Now, and, now if you haven't figured out how much of a nerd I am, now I'm going to really let you know. The, the actor who plays Scully's father in that is has a lead role in Stargate SG-1, which is one of my... Another one, one, one of your big shows, shows, because yeah. MacGyver is, was in that too, so MacGyver <laughs> yes. took you right into that, that's right. <laughs> right, okay. Yeah. And Scully's father passes that, yeah. away in that episode, yes. the character. Yeah, that's his, that's his only But role another, role yeah, Beyond the Sea was a great, great, great episode. episode. Scene I love, um, he's like, Mulder gives him this blue this blue uh, shirt and uh-huh. he's smelling it and he's like oh my god oh my god the killer's here he's there it's I- I'll tell you where he is he goes this is my Nick's workout shirt yeah. <laughs> <laughs> right. but then he says like underneath the blue devil or something and there's like yeah and devil. that's and that's really the first episode where Scully believes and Mulder doesn't and Mulder that's doesn't. right that's yeah. right they got the role reversal and here, but hey you know what we'll, they'll have to be an X-Files podcast <laughs> bonus episode in the time we've got <laughs> so let's let's get to the main event now we're gonna talk about the other movies nominated before we do our big one which is of course Saving Private Ryan I'm just gonna mention the other ones we'll do a little blurb on the other ones you have not seen the other movies nominated you saw Elizabeth you didn't see Elizabeth I did not see you did not okay I did not either. It's available on Netflix, whoever's out there on the edge of their seats to see Elizabeth. Apparently, from what I've heard, it's historically inaccurate. That's, that's what I've... It, it's notable in this world just because this is the only year where two actresses in the same year were nominated for playing the same role character, character in different yeah. movies. So you have Judy Dench playing Elizabeth I. Right. And you have Kate Blanchett playing Elizabeth the First, both and nominated I, for And I and I think there's a a interesting fascination there is that Elizabeth ran the country. Like she was like Well, there's obviously an interesting fascination because they come up with these damn movies every two years where <laughs> where we're doing English royalty movies. So that's Elizabeth. That is the least famous of these five movies. The Thin Red Line. Okay, so the Thin Red Line I had not seen. Yeah. I had heard some people say that they thought this should have won. I saw it. I didn't love it, to be honest with you. I didn't care for it. I really didn't even like it. it, 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 it uh, I, I, you I, mentioned earlier the cameos were... The fun. cameos were borderline distracting. It's I mean, every and they scene. didn't even have the guy from Cheers. So. <laughs> Ted Danson was not in this one. <laughs> but, you know, 
John Travolta comes out to say a two-line quip, and then he's gone with a little Charlie Chaplin mustache on. You have John Cusack. It, it's Which just... is great in everything. <laughs> I know you're a big John I'm Cusack fan. I'm a huge guy. John Cusack fan. So, so, that so this can turn into a Say Anything podcast, is that right? <laughs> Jared Leto's in it doesn't even have a line. Seth Green's in it doesn't even have a line. There's a there's well, a Seth Green l- doesn't deserve a line unless he's in the X Files, which is <laughs> which he is in the X Files. Yeah, I think so. he is, right? A, Absolutely. John C. Riley's in there. It's a it's a long list of never ending cameos that come up. Now it's also kind of like it's a it's a World War Two movie, but it's kind of like shot like this like art house what is film project so i haven't seen the movie i haven't mm-hmm. seen it. so let's let's give it's south so Pac- this will help the listeners so what where are they in world war II? it's a, it's it's a south pacific so they're they're battling for control oh in japan yeah they're fighting japan oh, they're wow. battling for a control over one of the islands that i believe that the japanese want to use as an air base so they're it's it's kind of similar to the hacksaw ridge theme yeah, I haven't with seen that, that one oh, boy that's one you'll love but, but I have seen uh, Band of Brothers Pacific, um, which is which yeah. is similar too. Yeah, Pacific Rim. There is something about, and I guess Hacksaw Hass- Ridge is the exception here. Now, B- Band of Brothers Pacific is that like a, is that Band of Brothers or is that Band an of offshoot? Brothers? No, it's an offshoot. It's it's okay. So there was Band yeah. of Brothers, and then there was Band of Brothers Pacific. Yeah. Okay. Which wasn't as good, mm-hmm. and 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 that's what I'm getting into. And I guess Hacksaw Ridge is the exception here. I haven't seen it. But um, there is something about the battle in with Japan that is not fascinating, uh, for whatever reason. I don't know what it is, and 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 I, and I don't want to demean anyone's service there. You know, we have a grandfather. Our, our grandfather, grandfather served grandfather in Japan. Served there. Yeah, yeah, in Japan. Yeah. Yeah, and but it's it, it's not it's not romantic. I guess is is what it is. Essentially, look look the fight the fight in Germany they won. Like they they well they walked into Berlin and they won it. We had to drop a freaking bomb on Hiroshima yeah. to win because Japan was such a troubling yeah, well, enemy. One of the things was clear, and, and they did a good job in this movie because there were some things about about Thin Red Line that I really liked. You got to feel for when we talk about Saving Private Ryan and that terrain. There was a familiarity with the Americans going over there and understanding the terrain okay right. at the end of the day europe and new england exactly. all right you're, just, you're walking down the street yeah the climate is very similar now the south pacific uh-uh you got more of a vietnam feel down there and they're they're climbing through these these reeds and there's bugs and it's beautiful weather but it's almost like not the kind of beautiful weather you want. It's the kind of beautiful weather where there's like a lot of living creatures. You don't even know what they are floating around. Right. Alligators right. and all, all sorts of, all sorts of things. I mean, probably crocodiles. But the movie opens with a shot. Japan, of really? There's crocodiles. In it's Japan? South Pacific, so this isn't necessarily on Japan. Okay. This is an island that both the Japanese and the Americans are struggling for control over for the sake of an airbase. I'll read the, the synopsis. One of the things we do when we go through is read the synopsis. So this one is it's an adaptation of James Jones's autobiographical autobiographical 1962 novel focusing on the conflict at Guadalcanal during the Second World War. Oh, Guadalcanal. Okay, yeah. So, it's one of the things that they do really well in this movie, and that was Sean Penn, Nick Nolte. Yeah. The list goes on and on. George Clooney's in it, and he's in, like, the the very end, and 
I generally like Adrian people, Brody, but I feel like if I met Sean Penn, I'd, I just would I just would fucking hate him. <laughs> <laughs> One of the things that I liked how they did is they did an inner monologue really well, where the inner monologue kind of bounced from actor to actor. So it wasn't like one guy's inner monologue telling the story. Like they were basically going into the heads and the thoughts of each guy at random times. And it kind of had a cool vibe to it. And in our first episode of Departed, we talked about voiceovers and how they can be a little bit lazy and how Artie really dug into Goodfellas and, and how he hates the movie and thinks that voiceovers really ruined that movie. We had actually had a conversation about it. Like, so there's something about mafia movies and Italian movies where they love voiceovers, like Casino and... Uh, Goodfellas would be the... Yeah. Good, yeah. The, what, like, what is that? Uh, Bronx Tale. Yeah. Um, it works. It works with those movies. It's the yeah. only movies it works with. Well, talk to Artie and he'll and disagree. That, that and Forrest Gump. That and Forrest Gump. Forrest Gump is one where I think it does work. Because one hundred percent, yeah, and Shawshank Redemption was another one we mentioned, and where it works too. Well, when you have Morgan Freeman doing the voiceover, it oh, totally works one hundred percent. So anyway, it, it's Thin Red Line, interesting movie, probably a movie if I watched it a couple more times, which I don't think I will. I'd appreciate more. So Terrence, Terrence <laughs> Had I Malick, watched it more, which I'm never going to do. <laughs> it's a Terrence Malick who's kind of like an actor's favorite director. He does projects once every twenty years. There were some things about the movie that I really liked. As overall, it was it was kind of like a bit a bit much for me. It just was kind of a little self indulgent. I thought Heavy a little art housey. Yeah. Okay. And it just wasn't overall very exciting. It was, you know, yeah. which I was kind of looking for when I when I wanted to see it. I wanted you know the the battle scenes are really cool. Right. I dug them, but it, overall, and and the funny part to me is that they have all these this supporting cast. And the kind of lead guy is a guy that I don't know in anything else other than he was like a client on Burn Notice. Other than that, uh, I mean, he's in like one episodic hey man, he's a syndicated show. Yeah, I guess so. Next is Life is Beautiful, Haven't which I watched this week. Either. That's one I got to see. And here's another one that I've had one or two people say should have won this year. It seems like everyone wants to get get in on who should have won the Oscar who this year. Who should have won this year? Yeah, 1999, I guess they just didn't have it figured out. I mean, no one freaking liked Shakespeare in Love, and it just won. I was, I was the only one like, yeah, great movie. Just for the sake of covering all stops here, I will read the synopsis of Elizabeth. I'm sure we can probably figure it out. But the early years of the reign of Elizabeth I of England and her difficult task of learning what is necessary to be a monarch. Well, and, you know, and that and that's essentially goes back to what was resonating in the minds of people at the time. It was really this idea of, of women in power, powerful positions. The fact that Elizabeth even got a nominee, I, I, I don't even think that's a good movie. <laughs> like, but, yeah. but it's just the idea of the movie was what drew people to, to this thing. So Life is Beautiful is one of the three... World War II time movies that were nominated this year. We just talked about The Thin Red Line. It's a Holocaust movie. Now, where does it take place? He's a Jewish Italian living in Italy. Italy. Okay, yeah. so Mussolini is what we're dealing with here. Yeah, but he's he's taken into into Nazi control and put in a concentration camp right. with his son. Sure. And his wife follows along with him. And she gets put with the women and he gets with his son, get put with the men. And essentially 
Well, I'll read the synopsis and then I'll kind of explain further. But when an open-minded Jewish librarian and his son become victims of the Holocaust, he uses a perfect mixture of will, humor, and imagination to protect his son from the dangers around their camp. So what he's what he's essentially doing is the son comes in, I want to go home, I want to go home. And he convinces the son that, no, this is a big game that we have to play. It's mm. a big surprise your father's done for you. And, and, you know, we get this big prize if we win. And he kind of explains to the kid that every little step of the way, there's little tasks to get points and mm. and to get the highest score. And, you know, we're going to get the highest score. and and But you got to play along. And it's a very charming movie. It's a foreign language film. It's subtitled. It was written, directed, and acted by Roberto Benigni. And he wins Best Actor. And it's a masterful performance. It's a really, really great movie. It's... Of course, the subject material leads it to be very tough. Yeah. I recommend anyone. And, and hopefully Parasite is going to now condition pop culture to embrace subtitles a little better. And I'm one myself who, up until probably even this year, was not into reading reading subtitles in movies. I wanna, yeah. wanted to watch movies without it. But I, I learned to appreciate it. And I think that, as I people mean, do, hopefully they go back and watch this movie. Because I think it's... I think it's a real special. I enjoy one. subtitle movies. I enjoy horror subtitle. Movies. I mean, "Let the Right One In" was was a great. Uh, the original Russian one was <laughs> was an awesome. I think that was the original. They changed the Americanized changed changed the name, but um, subtitles are great. Um, yeah, and I think get that the right movie. I think with Parasite winning, it's going to really open people's eyes to that a little bit because it really is. Parasite's a wild film. It's a wild film, and it's it's one of those where, like, I wouldn't even... You don't even... Before you see it, you don't even... Don't even have someone tell you what the synopsis is about. You just go in blind, and... Is it a love story? <laughs> uh, Uh-oh. No. It might be. <laughs> it is not. It is not. But there's a little elements of every kind of genre in there, and I'm just real happy for, for Bong Joon-ho and him winning those awards. And he, he became the only person to win four Oscars... You know I was getting worried there. I thought you were about to say Bon Jovi. I, I was, no, <laughs> it's not Bon Jovi. It's Bong Joon-ho. <laughs> the only other person to win four Oscars in one night was Walt Disney. So four statues in what one night. What did he win? It's four different short films or whatever. You know, they were all four different Mickey things. So this, he's the only one to do it for all, for one movie. But anyway, Sea Life is beautiful. Sea Parasite. Let's get Here to the Here main we event. Go. We've teased it enough with undercard matches. You watched Sam Pride Ryan today. I did. I did. Okay. And you said you hadn't seen it. It's been several years since you've seen it, but you don't about have to give me exactly. Yeah, so it's yeah. been a while. Yeah. So give me some initial thoughts on Saving Pride Ride alone in, in your watch today yeah, and what you took out of it today. Sure. Look, Shakespeare I mean, this Love is, this is this is the quintessential um uh, brotherhood movie, um, um, brothers in arms fighting for democracy. It, there is something that resonates from this movie, which is really great. It's really great, and it's and it's that that idea of brotherhood. The frustration of Tom Hanks in that movie of, of where he has to find this one person in this mess of of a war. Where he, he, there's, there's one scene where he goes out and just starts, Ryan, 
Ryan, Private Ryan. And, and and that ends up being that ends up being what what leads him to find the guy. But he gets he just gets so frustrated in that moment. It's it's a powerful movie. It's a powerful movie of 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 this experience of America has been has been forced to fight this war. Essentially, that Essentially. Was, that's what World War Two was. We've been forced to fight this war, and we've been pushed into this, this situation. And now. We're trying to do the right thing. This mother has lost every single child. She had about 15 boys. Yeah. <laughs> so God bless that woman. Yep. They're trying to save her one last her one last son who's out there and he is such he's such a he doesn't want to leave. Yeah, yeah. You know, and it's and it's 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 an inspiring movie. It's a great movie. With that said, it does not beat Shakespeare in Love. All right, there it is. <laughs> <laughs> we knew it was coming. And, and, I, and, I, and, I, and I have five different bullet points of why it doesn't okay. beat Shakespeare. Okay, so, so before I just go, I'll let you go right into that. I think the biggest part of this movie, this movie being Saving Private Ryan, and one of the reasons why I think it's the best war movie of all time, and why I think it's so effective, is that the stakes are put in front of you right out of the gates with that Normandy. Well, it's true. That Normandy scene. Yeah. It, it, it's unlike any scene in movie history, as far as I'm concerned, with the the gore, the sound, the it's the sound editing and sound mixing is as effective in that as any movie I've ever seen. Mm-hmm. You're on the beach with them, and that's not a beach you want to be on. Yeah. And you understand that everyone who's going through the maze beyond when they're looking for Ryan had to survive that first and had to and if they weren't if they weren't walking through the gunfire someone they knew was or the person right in front of them was and I thought the stakes of that movie were just so masterful that it it, it, it leaves me it leaves me without words to be honest now to, you say you have your bullet points let's go start start with um start with Shakespeare Sure. Versus, I mean, your Ryan. biggest, your biggest, your biggest problem with this movie is there's about two women in this movie. Okay. I mean, it's the mother and and the daughter. I think there's a daughter. Yeah, and, and or, a type, typist. Uh, typist. Yeah, yeah so typist. maybe there's three. Yeah, it's a men's movie, and, and and that's fine. There's nothing wrong with that, but it, it doesn't it doesn't have those dynamics that that having women roles throws into it I think that's seriously something that that takes away like just consider this just consider this is that Shakespeare in Love got best actress best supporting actress those are both awards that Saving Private Ryan couldn't have even been nominated for or -hmm. qualified for I mean it's like there's in in especially in that time that's the reason this thing doesn't work. Okay, so a response to that is, number one, great performances. Great performances out of Judy Dench and Gwyneth Paltrow. A performance, an acting performance, does not necessarily make the movie, though. And it doesn't always carry the movie. And I think Renee Zellweger won this year. And I know you're a big Renee Zellweger huge, fan. Huge, huge. Yeah, so you're, you know, she, she took home for... By all accounts, a movie that was not very good in Judy. Weirdly enough, Cold Mountain is one of my... I, I'm a love story guy, apparently. Like, it's... Yeah. 
Cold Mountain. I think I heard a performance in that was unbelievable. The great Jack Black is in that. Yes. Oh, I'm sorry, the Jack, not Jack Black, Jack White. Jack I got my White. wrong. Yes, yes. Right, we, right. Jack Black is in Jack the Lightning is in I, X Files episode. Jack White <laughs> right. is, is in Cold Mountain. Is right. in so that's so right of the gate is yes. Okay, I don't think that a movie is or isn't something because it's not. Like for instance, if it was a movie of with with all women, I wouldn't say that it can't be good because it's not. Totally agree. Totally agree. And we're talking a World War World War Two battlefield movie. There just weren't any women, right? There weren't like, women. It's, similar to Shawshank it's Redemption. Not, it's not like they chose to to exclude them. They literally wrote a they wrote a script where if you put them in there, people would be like, "What the fuck is that?" Right, <laughs> right. And Shawshank Redemption is another one. It's it's a male yeah. prison. You're not going to have right. women running around in a male right. prison. Right. It's and there's both stories, and you said it about brotherhood. And, and male camaraderie. So if that, I mean, th- that can't be the only reason that one movie is better than the other. It's, it, it can't just be about checking boxes, is my point. I, 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 I 100% agree with you. The difference is that the dynamics that Shakespeare in Love gets with, its, with the genders and with the different actors and actresses, it hits so many different levels of your soul and your heart that while Saving Private Ryan, yes, it does carry through with with what it was, was supposed to do, it's not dynamic. And yeah. dynamic is really the the key word there. Yeah, if we talk social structures of today uh, as well, it, too. It's, it hits you in so many ways in industry and love and, and, and relationships. And whereas Saving Private Ryan is really just this war movie and it's not just this war movie it's a great war movie and it, yeah. and it really commemorates what all these soldiers did for all of us it also is wonderfully acted it, it uses an ensemble yeah. cast really well right it makes you care about each individual soldier and the battalion as a, as a group and you care about their mission but you also care about why Edward Burns doesn't really like the mission, but has to do it anyway. I, I think my point, my point with this movie is this is kind of obscure standard to to throw there, but if I had to explain to an alien race humanity, I'd rather use Shakespeare in Love than Saving Private Ryan. Hmm. I think I think I think an alien race would look at Shakespeare in Love. I think they'd be totally confused. <laughs> <laughs> but they'd be much more. They'd be much more like, okay, I get a little bit more if you show them Saving Private Ryan. They're like, you guys are fucking assholes. Well, be very yeah. confused. <laughs> yeah, I think right. they'd be even more confused at that. I I think that's an interesting point. And it, if I'm looking at other movies like that too, what what movies you could use to explain someone who's never witnessed current society? What what ones would be useful? What ones wouldn't? It's an interesting concept. It's an interesting thought. Well, and and I think you know what my favorite movie is, and it's not an Oscar award-winning movie. It was nominated. It was. Nominated. It was certainly nominated, yes. and uh, I believe we're talking about it's a wonderful life. It's a wonderful life. That movie, if I had to explain human humanity to an alien race, that's the movie I would send them. And maybe maybe that's my fault. Is that that's some sort of criteria I use when I watch movies? Um, yeah. Well, I think that you you strike me as someone who isn't necessarily a movie fan. You're a fan of the movies that you're a fan of and that you want, you like, you know what you want in a movie 
and you're going to watch that. And if it doesn't meet that criteria, you're more than comfortable with not watching the movie. Yeah, that's and, about right. But the movies that you're fans of, you're, you're definitely a huge fan of those movies. Yeah, and, and when they hit it, when they hit it, it's like, no, nah, I'm not just a fan. Yeah, right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's, listen, it's an interesting concept. I think at the end of the day, when you're putting a bunch of people in a room and you're showing them both these movies, Saving Private Ryan's going to win over. It It tugs at the heartstrings in a way. I mean, I mean, I, I fear the day that anyone from the firehouse hears me, hears me <laughs> argue that Saving Private Ryan is worse than um, And I don't think, but love. I don't think, from what I've gotten out of this, I don't think that's what you're saying. I think that you're saying is that you, the other one's better. I don't think it's about, about one being worse. No, they're both great movies. They really are both great movies and they both, they both touch on humanity in, in a very important respect but Shakespeare in Love is a movie about love and it's and I and I and I think this is something that we've lost so much is that love is real like it's there and and um for some reason Hollywood has has shied away from this idea of love it, I mean that I think that used to be their <laughs> What they were going their for. Their main box box office thing, but not anymore. I don't know why. So, interestingly enough, it, I think that it has definitely become a narrative. And when people think of the Oscars, they almost go to this year. And and they'll they'll say, well, the Oscars, pfft, you know, Saving Private Ryan lost to Shakespeare in Love. The, the Oscars were a joke. Do they, yeah, I think you'll that. hear that a lot. Really? What's they don't know me. funny to me, though, and I think that everybody kind of looks at it as like a landslide, what were they thinking? Do you know what Saving Private Ryan is on Rotten Tomatoes? What would you guess it is? We, are we talking about the critics' Rotten Tomatoes? We're, or we're the, talking or critics. The viewers. We're or talking the viewers. There's two, there's two different categories. We're talking critics. I'll give you the viewers, too, but we're talking critics. What do you think Saving Private Ryan is? Um, 88. It's 93. Okay. What do you think Shakespeare in Love is? 88. <laughs> no, I don't I, know. It's 92. 92. So it's a 1% difference on Rotten Tomatoes. So so the to say, oh, it's not even close. It's very close. I mean, actually. right there it's close. Now, the audience is a bigger gap. Audience, so, so critics, again, it's 93, Saving Private Ryan, 92, Shakespeare in Love. 1% okay. difference. The audience is 95 Saving Private Ryan. It's a beloved audience mm-hmm. film. And Shakespeare Love is 80%, yeah, which that's, is... That's huge. That's so so here's, here's, here's what goes into that, uh, and, and, I, and I despise this argument, is that it's a industry movie. So it's like, all right, the critics get it. It's because it's fun. It's the industry. Mm-hmm. So that's why it's only 1%. Their viewers aren't in the industry, so it, it's a 15% difference. That's huge. Mm-hmm. If someone's listening right now and they're still not convinced, right? They're like Saving Private Ryan is the best movie. Yeah, all right. Made. You brought up a couple of decent points. They're okay. Shakespeare in Love. I never want to see that movie ever again. <laughs> or, or I'm listening and I haven't even seen it. Right, right. And I'm not going to see it. Yeah. What else you have for them? What I have for them is this: is is really just the question. What is it about Shakespeare in Love that you don't like? Because it's it's it it is such a substantial movie. What what is it? What is it that you don't like? And I think I think maybe that's something that is a problem. Is it's a very real movie, mm-hmm. and it and it really it really addresses a lot of these issues. 
one of the biggest issues is love. And, and, and that thing, they're both married people. They're both married people who are not married in love. Yeah. And, and, and I think that's something that hits real with people. I think that um, the idea that love isn't so clean cut. Well, how about Brokeback Mountain? That's another one we talked sure. about last episode. Sure. I think that just, Is that, that a best just, picture winner? Well, we discussed in the last episode with it lost a crash. Lost a crash. Okay. And, but that's like, what you said is just summed up with sure. Shakespeare in love. That's kind of, I mean, that they're two married people exactly. who are not married in love. And... They're in love, and it's, and, it's, and it's not clean cut. It's messy. Love is messy. And, and I think that scares people off. Well, I think let's let's look at the entertainment factor alone. I mean, come on, Saving Private Ryan's an entertaining movie. I mean, who doesn't want to sit down sure. and throw it on Sunday? I mean, yeah, I'm, it, the average person is going to look at those two movies and say, "I'm, I'm going to throw this one." Now, rewatchability well, isn't on. necessarily. Well, hold on, hold on. What's entertaining? I mean, yeah, if you're talking to the to the rat kid, yeah, it's very entertaining. <laughs> <laughs> like that first scene is Good old is, Ramsey is, is tough to sit through. You know, John you, Webster, John Webster, John Webster, yeah. Um, I mean, it's tough to. I mean, you got bullets going through people's heads. I mean, I'm sorry. That's not to me. That's not entertaining. Okay, that that's like, fair. That's that's fair. Like it's. I usually um, start after that scene. Right. <laughs> well, that's that's the thing. It's like, can't we just like fast forward? I know that scene's there. I appreciate yeah. it. One of the reasons I think it's a great film. I don't necessarily always seen it. I don't that need to scene, see it but... again. Yeah. Yeah. Now, now the rest of it, there the dynamics between each of the soldiers is, is just awesome. Incredible. Incredible. It's listen. Yeah. You said Shakespeare in Love is very real. There's Listen, Saving Private Ryan is very real too. There's, a, it's a different, it's, it's different kind of real. It's a real in a different box. Right. We're talking about how mankind interacts with warfare. Right. So it's men being men. It shouldn't yeah. men being men, and and the problem with Shakespeare in Love is it's men being sensitive, which is a tough thing. to... Okay, but I don't think that. Saving Private Ryan is men being men. It's it's people being put into forget about the fact they're men. People being put into this 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 scene of carnage and warfare. I mean, that's there's a movie to be told there. And that's and that really goes back to the scene we talked about earlier with the the medic that's got the bullet in his gut and he's crying. Yeah, and he's, it's death. Yeah, and that's that's sensitivity right there. Yeah, yeah, I, yeah, I agree. They can both be good movies. I think that people need well, to realize this. They are both good. Yeah, movies. they can both yeah. be great movies. It, yeah. I, I, and it's a shame because at the end of the day, it's funny. It's funny because I, I think a lot of the times, really, we don't look at movies as one being better than the other, but we do in this facet when it comes to the Oscars. So, like, yeah. you never really these two movies got pinned up against each other for all time. They're they're married to each other. They're tied together, right. and. Unfortunately for Shakespeare Love, it's always going to be known as the movie that, that beat Saving Private Ryan. Well, I don't think it's unfortunate because let's say, think about this. Turn this around. Saving Private Ryan wins. We never have this conversation. Yeah, no, we definitely don't. Is, well, how about that brings up a good question next too. Saving Private Ryan wins. How is Shakespeare in Love remembered? No. It's not. Really? And that's a little is sad. It, it's like Elizabeth. Or Catherine. It's, ooh, it's <laughs> Catherine. Maybe it's Marlowe. Can't even remember. Maybe you're gonna say Marlowe <laughs> in Marlo, love. Yeah. Right, you're gonna Marlo say Marlowe in love. Now it is who knows, because there is a history of the runners up 
being, you know, touted as, oh, yeah. you know, so, sure. ma- so, and, so for all we know, it, it's, it's even bigger than... And she wins Best Actress, no doubt. No doubt. Regardless no, of how that decision no, went, because Saving Private Ryan isn't even in the categories. Yeah, so. yeah and, and I'm and, not even sure Thin Red Line is either. <laughs> and Saving Private, it's not. Saving Private Ryan wins Best Director, so it really lined up to win Best Picture. And then the flip happened. John Madden directs Shakespeare in Love. We haven't really talked about him, partially because he's not the, the football guy. Well, I think John Madden's the third most famous John Madden because you have the football announcer who championed all the video games. Then you have the former center of the New Jersey Devils, John Madden. And then you have John Madden, who directed Shakespeare Love. And really, he didn't do much. And it's funny, I wrote, the, the writers who, who did this, you brought one of them up and had info on him right away, because I didn't have anything. I'm Tom like, Stafford, what? yeah. Yeah, I, I, they, don't, they don't really do many other movies either. Right, and it, I and I don't know anything about them. But Tom Stafford, I know, is a playwright. Yeah, well, like, he, they, he's, they, one of they the, he's one of the two. He's one of the two. playwright. That, so that to, that's why he doesn't have any of the movie credits because he's right, a playwright. He's a playwright. Right. Yeah, so that, well, rock and roll was the was the play I read by him, but he's a contemporaneous um, English playwright, well respected. Yeah, well respected. Yeah, Tom Stoppard and Mark Norman were the two. Wrapping this up, I mean, I don't think that I I don't know if you've convinced anyone to change their vote a la Twelve Angry Men to Shakespeare in Love. No, over... they're looking at my number right now. And... Figuring out how they're going to send me death, uh, death threats. <laughs> I think you put up an, an honorable fight. I, I like I said, I I don't think anyone's changing their angry twelve angry man vote to to Shakespeare in Love, but it's an interesting it's an interesting thought, it's an interesting idea, and I would like people to look at Shakespeare in Love for what it is and not compare it to to Saving Private Ryan or Life Is Beautiful or Thin Red Line for that reason, and. One of the nature of what we're doing here is to compare these movies to each other just because that's, you know, part of the task and it's fun for us. Right. But, listen, it's a good movie. It's an enjoyable movie. It's a great movie. I had fun watching it. I had fun talking about it. I don't I don't leave this this episode of the podcast with anything but appreciation for, for Shakespeare in Love. Like I said, it's probably still in the back 45 when I paired up with the rest of these. But I hope... I hope that maybe people watched this, this this week, just like we did, and gave it a second thought and, and thought about some of the themes in it and some of the underlying elements of it. Well, and, and one thing I'll say here, too, is because we're about five seconds away from Valentine's Day here, um, and I know this is going to come out later than Valentine's Day, but that final scene, which we did talk about, which they almost didn't include, mm-hmm. um, is one of the romantic love scenes of all time. Yeah. Hmm. Um and I and I think that is something that should be 100% considered in the fact that it's a best picture winner. I mean, it is it is love and romance um in in one of its best facets with odds against it and and Knowing that they're parting, never seeing each other again, and yet expressing romance in in this pure and and unbelievable sense. Yeah, I mean it's well said. Do you, do you have any closing thoughts as we wrap this up? As we wrap this up, um, just that um, Coldplay sucks. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, this was fun. I. 
I enjoyed this. I like I said, I enjoyed the movie a little more than I thought I was gonna, and it was an interesting conversation. Hopefully, you guys think the same. If you want to write in, if there's anyone out there that agrees with Brendan B over here that they like Shakespeare in Love, we want to hear from you. I'm sure we'll hear from some of the ones that disagree with him. But again, I'm, you can, I might actually have friends. <laughs> with, you can chop up, chop it up with us on Twitter again. It's Best Picture Cast on Twitter. You can find us via email too. Send us an email. Write us in. Email is Best Picture Podcast at Yahoo. So Best Picture Cast on Twitter. Best Picture Podcast at Yahoo.com is the email address. And Brendan, maybe we'll have you back uh, when we talk about best years of our lives, and you can talk about why that shouldn't have won and why. It's a Wonderful Life should have. Or we could just do Hamlet, you know? Who knows? Well, hey, yeah, I might have to have you on for Hamlet because I don't know who else is going to want to do it. And, you know, that might, be a, that might be a soft listener week anyway. But we appreciate you listening. We appreciate you sticking, sticking with us. Uh, we, we hope you enjoyed. And, again, subscribe, write a review, send us an email. We appreciate all of you out there. And uh, we'll see you next time. When we talk Rebe Alfred Hitchcock and Rebecca, it's going to be fun. Thank you.